Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Silver and Gold! Coming to the ring from parts unknown at a combined weight of 853 pounds, Piccolo and Dr. Zong! Welcome, welcome, welcome. Once again, Silver and Gold in your ear holes. We are in episode six. Six. I am the loaf. And with me, Dr. Zom. I am here in spirit, though I am plagued by many, many things that are coming out of my Ortify. Ortify. So yeah, episode six. You've asked for it. Not really. You waited for it. Mm, maybe. Uh, we have the Michael Pore episode, finally. Um, hopefully we're not going to repeat too much, because we've talked about him quite a bit. So his uh, maybe uh, two biggest little, bu- biggest little movies. Um, I'm sorry, with the years here. 1983's Eddie and the Cruisers, and 1984's Streets of Fire. I'd like to think that Mr. Pore was filming both at the same time, because that would be pretty damn cool, baby. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, we're going to review those and talk about how hot Pere was and his guns and all that fun stuff. And uh, But first, well, how, how are you feeling, Zom? I know you, you've said you were a little ill. Well, um, we seem to have a thing in our culture these days. There's, so someone corrected me on this, but uh, um, I said, you know, I wanted to thank the uh, uh, certain people that are so dedicated at work that even when they are like, you know, have the flu, they come to work no matter what because they think it makes an impression when all it does is cause like half the people to have to call off because they're sick. And then I was um, I was corrected by, I think it was Sabrina, said, you know, that um, it's today's culture that, uh, you know, they have everybody scared. Oh, if I take a day off, I'm going to – I'm going to um, – you know, lose my job or whatever. Nah, this was just an asshole that uh, that just decides. Or, well, I shouldn't say an asshole because it was probably more than one person. But you know, they come to work, they're sick, they touch every goddamn thing in the place, and you know, I'm sick. So, uh, but it um, it won't impair me because as long as I have a breath in my body, I will spew <laughs> forth from my gaping orifice the knowledge that I have a film. And mm, me too, except. Uh, I, I, I was pretty sure I was going to end up sick this week. Um, my my wife came down with something, and um, yeah, and then there's another chick at work who always seems to bring in the sick. A chick, yeah, she very uh, sexist, very sexist. There, hey, uh, what can you do? Abroad, chick and dude. Well, yeah, okay. There was a broad at work. Uh, actually, two of them. This one girl, I swear, she gets strep throat every other month. Oh my god, and that's like, what I was praying that I wasn't getting because. The the first thing I felt was this like dry tickling in the back of my throat, and I was like, "Oh shit!" Because I heard somebody had strep, and that's about one of the worst things that you can get. Uh, it, it's, it's that that is like the syphilis of the throat. 
<laughs> well, luckily, I seem to be pretty resistant to uh, to strep. I don't know. I, I had a girlfriend in high school that used to get it every year, and I and, never caught it from her. And you made out. You like had your tongue like deep in her mouth. Oh, I would just like tickling the blisters in the. Back. I would just tongue down those blisters. I was like, oh. wait, I see those white blisters. Let me see if I can oh, take care of those. Well, you know, and, uh, like in, in Stephen King's The Stand and like the Andromeda <laughs> Strain and movies like that, there's always like a, a small group of people that are either blessed by by our Lord God uh, and they survive or they're just they're genetically superior. Well, I have come to the conclusion that when my parents uh, bred – <laughs> they, it must have they're, the gene they, either they, they, it just didn't mix right or whatever because I am about as unhealthy as they come I think I try to be but every time anything's going around I'll catch it oh that sucks because um, I like to touch things I like the texture of things I like to taste I like to touch and I like to smell <laughs> so you're going around smelling people's keyboards and phones doorknobs keyboards I'm like Wolverine but I did but wait a minute okay <laughs> I did not watch Wolverine this week. That's good. That's good. I, broke, I went cold turkey. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and get into that then. What did you watch this? What did you watch this week? Well, okay. I had this is the only thing I made a list about uh, this week. Um, the first uh, movie that I watched, Netflix, or I'm sorry, uh, no, it was Netflix. It wasn't Quickster. It was Netflix. <laughs> not yet. No, no, not yet. I watched the kid stays in the picture. Uh, the documentary about Robert Evans, and I would do a Robert Evans impersonation right now, but if I do, I can tell I'm going to start coughing, so I'm going to <laughs> forego that. Um, I had not seen it. I had heard clips and, of course, the uh, uh, famous um, clip for, is it Show Show? Yes. Yes, Show Show. Uh, and um, one of the first things that caught my ear was uh, you know, him talking about um, – Busting um, snot nose McGraws, uh, uh, you know, uh, going off on a snot nose McGraw, but what the hell? I got my nuts off, um, and that, <laughs> that 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 just you know grabbed a hold of me, and I thought this guy is a man after my own heart. Um, the next um, movie that I watched, I'm freaking. I'm getting something here. Wait a minute. I watched uh, Thor. Um, and, um, I liked it. I know that, um, there was one Sam Uri that's trying to spread dissent all across the internet because <laughs> he is tired of superhero movies. Um, I liked it. I, I, um, it had just enough, uh, funny stuff th that, uh, you know, it kind of kept it light. Uh, I'm a kind of a, a, a more hardcore Guy, so in in my mind, I kind of wish they would have kept it more hardcore and not as funny. Right. But the situation that he was in, where you know he was stripped of his powers or whatever and sent to Earth, there was a lot of funny moments that could be done there. Um, Natalie Portman, she's she's all right. She's not like my greatest, um, you know, female actor. And that's another thing. Why? And I brought this up. I was going to say actress, but for some reason that has become politically incorrect. And you're supposed to call male or females actors. You can't call a female an actress, or you're not supposed to. But I don't care. Um, she's got a nice <laughs> butt. Uh, she kind of has a big head and a little body, which is good. For, uh, most Hollywood um, actors 
uh, they say like whether you're on TV or in the movies, if you have a big head and a smaller body, it kind of like the Thunderbirds, those puppets. Right. It, it, it for some reason. You look at a lot of the famous uh, – Clint Eastwood's got this big goddamn fucking head, you know, uh, big heads. Um, but she's cute. She's um, – there's certain things that she says that – like when she delivers a line, like uh, when Thor finally gets his Thor garb on and she's like, do you always dress like this? And he goes, yes, as a matter of fact. And she goes, nice look or something like that. And just the way she said it, you know. I don't know. Sometimes I don't think she's that great of an actress. Uh, whatever. I like the girl that was her friend that was in um, uh, Defendor with Woody Harrelson. I liked her actually more than I like Natalie Portman. Um, and the next one was Hannah. Um, and I talked about that last week, but I I had to watch it again because some of my friends hadn't seen it. Uh, still, I'm on a uh, Blanchett. Blanchett. In Hannah is my um, my uh, wallpaper on my computer right now. Sure, it's not Andrella Blanchett on your wallpaper. Uh, <laughs> she was a little bit too. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to put it. She was a little bit too um, masculine. Is that the word I'm looking for? Uh, for the for um, for uh, to be in that role, I think that's why they gave it to Kate Blanchett. How about a how about a, a, a threesome with Shirley and Blan- and Andrella Blanchett? I I think probably Brutus Beefcake and her. If we're gonna like do uh, that's as close as a as a two dude threesome as I would ever go. Um, Where'd that come from? Where's all this threesome talking? Anyway, um, one more time with a little drinky winky, daddy, because I gotta wet my whistle. There's something building up down deep and dirty in my chest cavity. (sighs) Hang on one second. Okay. It's better just to do that instead of fighting it. Uh, kill, kill the Irishman, Ray Stevenson. Uh, I bought this at Walmart. Hey, and I didn't pay, pay that much for it because I'm very cheap. Um, this is, I liked it the first time I saw it. I still like it. It has a nice cast. Uh, it's not like a great movie, but um, really, if you read about the real guy, um, you know, Hollywood takes a lot of liberties in making him look kind of like a hero, and he was kind of a scumbag uh, in real life. Uh, but it's still, it was fun to watch. Uh, next one was another one. <clears throat> a lot of these uh, are ones that I watched with a group of friends, right. so I rewatched, so I won't go into them too much. X-Men First Class, I still liked it. Uh, Benda was still good. Um, and other than that, sir, you know, I think the beast's um, fur makeup is kind of growing on me just for the simple fact that I look at the comic book and I think, well, that's what the that's what he fucking looks like in the comic book. <laughs> you know, so I mean, you know, um, the next one. This, now we're getting some new stuff, Daddy. Uh, Beer Wars, which was a documentary um, about uh, the the lady that made it. Uh, worked for she was like the president of uh mike's hard lemonade mm-hmm. and she came up against the uh the big three of you know beer which was budweiser miller and coors and budweiser is like the evil empire kind of a like if they they would have they would be like in star wars the empire uh and they do just about everything they can to try and crush everybody else and they, and they follow around a couple of um of people that um started making, you know, that are independents that started making their own uh, beer. 
and marketing it and everything. And the one guy's really took off. And like uh, one of his was a, a, a pumpkin ale. And the name of it was Punkin Ale, like Punkin with an N. Yeah. And like Budweiser sued him, even though they weren't using Punkin. They just said it was like too generic. And he was like, okay, what's natural light? How much more generic can you get than that? <laughs> and how they would, um, they would, um, put out these these beers and not put Anheuser-Busch's name on them and try and make people think. Like one guy said, I don't drink like Budweiser or Coors or Miller. I hate that stuff. But I drink this other kind. I can't remember what it's called. Not Blue Moon, but something like that. Um, and he was like, I, I drink that because it's an independent work. Well, it was made by Budweiser. Um, you know, stuff like that. But it, it's it's pretty interesting. I don't drink, and you know, I was still interested. Uh, it was entertaining the way she did it. It was a good piece of film, good piece of uh, documentary filmmaking. And I befriended the lady on um, on uh, Facebook, and she friended me back. <laughs> I love her. Oh, there was one woman in there, and she created a uh, thing called like Moonshot or something. And she looked at um, people drinking Red Bull with their liquor. And said, you know, okay, people like caffeine or whatever. So she started making a beer that had caffeine in it, you know, so you could be a wide awake drunk all the time. You know, when you're really obnoxious, you don't pass out. Um, and um, oh, the only reason I bring her up is uh, she had tremendous boobage. And that's all I'm going <laughs> to say about that. Uh, Mr. Freedom, uh, watch that. And uh, uh, we were just having a conversation off the air about uh, some of the things that are kind of uh, mocked in. Mr. Freedom, um, the redheaded girl, the redheaded chick that was uh, Mr. Freedom's kind of sidekick with the curly red hair. Ooh, I thought she had a nice body. And yeah. I'm down with the redheads, Daddy. And, you know, let me tell you something. I like Mr. Freedom because uh, he was, um, I think he would be certain political parties. Um, he would be their hero today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's one of those films like, um, like, uh, Oh, I'm just gonna forget the name of the Battle for Algiers. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a film that's you know nearing 50 years old, but you you when you watch it, you're like, you know what? I th this this could have been made today almost. You know, yeah. it's, it's 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 just key, things always kind of come back to the forefront. And I like how Mr. Freedom walked around with his um, when he didn't have his costume on. Of course, he had like his uh, he he looked like he was straight out of Texas with the cowboy hat. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And he just looked down on like. French or you know Chinese everybody I mean you know it was it was uh it was very amusing it was very low budget but it was pretty damn funny so if you can find it's it's out on DVD now there for a long time it was uh it was out of print I don't even know if it had ever been on VHS but uh they put it out now and you can get it on Netflix daddy uh but you would actually have to get it on Quickster it's a weird one because um I always thought it was Criterion, but it's like a sub branch of Criterion yeah. or something. Yeah, it's and and the the cover doesn't necessarily say Mr. Freedom. It's like the works of and it's the yeah. director's name. The director has a very generic American name, but it but is. If you, it's yeah, an American but, guy, but worked out of France. Yeah, and if and the guy was like an expatriate of the U.S. and was living in France, and uh, if you just uh, do a Google image search of Mr. Freedom, you'll see some of Mr. Freedom's. Um, <laughs> outfits and they are pretty damn funny. They make uh the beast in X-Men First Class uh look Actually, I think I like Mr. Freedom's outfit better. Yeah. But anyway, we'll move on now. Um but that's fun. It it is funny. And uh some of some people that would watch it um I think probably wouldn't get it. 
And if they did, they would be pissed off. <laughs> because, uh, <coughs> like I said, it, it, it's uh, pretty in your face. All of a sudden, they're going to realize, wait, I'm looking wait in a, a mirror. I don't like yeah. this. Yeah. This makes me feel uncomfortable. What's wrong with being a fucking racist asshole? You know. Uh, anyway, uh, I don't want to get any trouble. Let's not talk about politics, daddy. Uh, moving right along. Once were warriors. Um, this was on recommendation from the ladies, and they are ladies over there on Girls on Film. Um, they reviewed it a while back, and I've been meaning to see it, and I'm still meaning to see it. Because I watched about half this movie that I got from Netflix slash Quickster, and it just stopped playing. It did one of those deals where it would kind of stop and start and stop and start yeah, and stop. Fuck. And I took it out. I wiped it off. And I looked at the disc, and it looked like somebody had glued it to their asshole. <laughs> I had a chain tied to their ankles and a handle to grab a hold of, tied the chain to the back of a pickup, and they were drugged down the street on that disc and so i sent it back so hopefully you know usually netflix slash quickster if you have a problem they'll send a disc out right away if they can find it when you said glued to the asshole i I, for some reason i immediately imagined gluing it to the asshole and then trying to uh crap through the little hole in the middle (laughs) poop through the hole (laughs) it'd be like it'd be like the play-doh fun factory Mm We thought, I'm glad that, you know, see, that's one thing we find out a lot about each other and why we get along so well. Because I've often said that it would be cool to get one of those Play-Doh things, like a little star, and then shit through it. You know, not when you have like mud butt, but something that's like a good formed stool. No, the, the better one, the better one would be one, the, the haircut one. Where yes. the, you press on the little guy's head and the hair comes out of the head. Yes, you can yes. shave your shit off the and top. Do that, do that like in a, in a public restroom and just leave it in there. You know, people be like, what? Uh, Is that Ultron shit? Um, Hank Pym's in there sifting through. Ah, there's Ultron shit. Anyway. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, you know how it goes on this podcast. <laughs> uh, the next movie. Now, this one, I sort of have a lot to say about, but I don't know why. Uh, I watched Electra last night. Okay. <laughs> now, I, this is one of the ones that Will would say, Zom, you watch a lot of shit. Ugh. You know, he can't figure, he, he can't fathom that, you know, okay, you spent time watching this movie when you could have been watching, you know, Election with, by Johnny Toe or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, but Will, you know, I, I like to sample all culture. Um, but anyway, now, see, one reason, uh, this is like Wolverine, which I had watched every day for about uh, two weeks. Um <laughs> I'm a Marvel Comics fan. I've always been a Marvel man. Right, right. And uh, Electra, when Frank Miller was doing Electra, and he did uh, Electra Assassin and Electra Lives, um, I loved the character. So I was just stoked when, you know, first of all, when the Daredevil movie came out, and then I was like, okay, Aflac, oh, you know, okay. It was all right. I, I hated, uh, I think Colin Farrell could have been good as Bullseye. But, um, you know, some people are like, oh, man, he was so good. He was so good. First of all, even in Daredevil, the one part um, he goes to Kingpin and he says, you know, after he had fought Daredevil, I think one time or something, he goes and Kingpin's like, is there anything you oh, – I shouldn't do accents. Wait a minute. <laughs> <coughs> Zom does time, not have a cough button, by the way. Yeah. Every time I try and do a um, – 
an impersonation. I, I'm just not going to do it this time. Um, but he says, you know, is there anything? Kingpin says, is there anything I can get you? And Colin Farrell says, I want a costume. Because Daredevil had a costume. And I thought, when I watched that movie, I thought, fuck yeah, they're going to have Bullseye, you know, have his costume. And then they just forgot about it. And <laughs> Colin Farrell is like, you know, growling and acting. I, now, Bullseye's supposed to be crazy, but he's not like a growling, slobbering, you know, all, I don't know. Like he's got rabies or something. That's the way he acted that movie. So anyway, and then they throw Jennifer Garner in there as Electra. And that's in Daredevil. So I knew I was fucked from the word go if they did a remake and a spinoff of Electra. Because, okay, Electra is Greek. Jennifer Garner is from, like, Charleston, West Virginia, or Beckley, okay? Um, <laughs> she looks like she's from Kansas or something. Uh, I don't think she's a good actress. I think she has fish lips. I think her head is really <laughs> small and skinny, and her ears stick out. And she Now, she does – I will say this about her. Physically, like her body, um, you know, some of these movies you would think, like Scarlett Johansson with her big boobs or something like that. Okay, Jennifer Garner's built athletically. She doesn't have big boobs. She's she's more like a uh, a woman athlete. She's she's got like bigger leg, bigger thighs, not big thighs, but bigger thighs and a bigger butt, but small boobs and everything. And but then when you watch the movie, it's like anytime they're getting ready to show her butt, it's like on Alias. Anytime they get ready to show her, they show like a five-second or not even like a one-second glimpse, and then they pan away like they're ashamed that she doesn't have a <laughs> – uh, she's not ninety a 90-pound 90 stick, okay, which that kind of pissed me off. But she doesn't fit the part. Um, the movie isn't super-duper horrible. It's watchable, but they fuck things up. They could have had the chick that played Typhoid Mary, who was also the lead in Blood Rain Third Reich, play Electra. She's better looking, and she's kind of got like a, a evil, mean-ass kind of look, whereas Jennifer Garner looks like you know somebody who wants to save puppy dogs. <laughs> and Electra is supposed to be that way. And they fucked the Typhoid Mary thing up. Typhoid Mary wasn't like that at all. Um, I like in the one part where... Um, um, the one um, guys that, that that's the uh, head of the hand. He tells this one guy. He says um, about Electra. He goes, Ah, she's a guy gene. You know, she's a barbarian. She's a she's a foreigner, a European, or whatever. You know. And then here comes um, Karingi, who is the head of this one band of the of the hand. And he comes in, and everybody on his team, with the exception of him, is not Japanese. So they're all guy jeans. So it's like, you know, what the fuck are you talking about, douche? They had to throw Bob Sapp in there. Whatever. But the movie, I watched it. It's me. Okay, anyway. <laughs> now, the next one, I've been, I had said that I was going to go see Drive because everybody's talking about Drive. But then I got sick. So I didn't go see Drive. And I, I went to uh, Comcast In Demand, and they have, you know, movies that are in the theaters right now or that just came out that are in the theaters. And sometimes you could find some stuff on there that, you know, you might have to pay $7.99 or $9.99 or whatever, but if you're going to the theater, you know, you're going to pay that anyway. And so the one thing that I found on there that I, I really kind of been wanting to watch was the movie Blackthorn with um, um, Sam Shepard. Mm -hmm. And um, this, because here recently, you know, there's always been rumors. Of course, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kids, one of the most beloved movies of all time, Redford and Newman in that movie, they were the quintessential Butch and Sundance. It was lighthearted. It was fun. It was tragic. It just took your emotions on a roller coaster, but you just loved the characters. So I'd always, you know, and they tried to redo it like with a prequel with Tom Berenger and William Catt. 
and then they they put out like a straight to DVD one not that long ago, and I didn't see it, but um, I saw that this was coming out. And here recently, you know, they had always said that they thought Butch Cassidy didn't die in Bolivia with Sundance, like he did at the end of Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. There was always rumors that his that he came back home and lived under a different name and everything. Well, I guess they had found they they found letters here recently that pretty much are saying, yeah, he he came back when he was older from he lived down in South America, Bolivia, or Argentina, or someplace, and he came back. So this is kind of about that, but then they take that concept, <coughs> no cough button, and um, they kind of run with it. And he has like one kind of last adventure coming back because he he's kind of got a ranch down there and he sells some horses and it's his trek back. And and um, yeah. first of all, it's the kind of movie that you do want to watch if you have a nice uh, new um, high def TV. Because like the um, the movie Tracker with uh, Ray Winstone and uh, the trip um, with uh, Coogan and Bryden, it has a lot of spectacular scenery as they're come you know down in um, South America in some of the mountainous and kind of like jungle like regions coming up you know th- across the salt flats uh, when you get up and you see the Rocky Mountains they're just beautiful and the way it's shot is really beautiful. It's not a great movie. But it's a very, but it's a very, very good movie. I liked it, um, and you get to hear Sam Shepard sing, which it actually fits the role. And and it's, uh, you know, I thought it was pretty good. And I spent nine ninety nine for it, so I could watch it while I hacked my guts out. And <laughs> I thought it was all right. Uh, anyway, uh, switched over and watched uh, also on in demand Valhalla Rising, uh, Nicholas yes. Winding Refn. Um, I like this movie, but I'm telling you what, he made a mistake. He made a mistake. And the mistake is he that CGI blood looks fucking horrible. Oh. oh my god, does it look horrible. Now, the first time I watched this, I watched it on my old TV, just a standard deaf old shitty TV. Right. And I remembered Will saying something about the the um CGI blood. And this time I watched it on my high def TV, and it looks fucking horrible. It looks cartoonish, bad. Uh, didn't take me out of it, but it looks bad. Um, still, I liked it. You know, it's a different kind of movie, and it really makes you think. I think one of the um, Gentleman's Guide um, fandom uh, members, or whatever, or members, not fandom. You know, I don't want to sound like a, calling people fanboys and putting them down because the Gentleman's Guide daddy is. Awesome, and everybody in that community is awesome. And um, but um, somebody had mentioned that they thought, you know, and this kind of goes along with Thor that uh, Odin they called him One Eye, and that he would often take human form and walk the earth uh, and go through certain trials and stuff like that. Uh, and when you think about when the guy said that, and then you watch the movie, you're like, fuck, you know, he might be onto something. Mm. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I um. I called in a small review to Gentleman's Guide like two years ago. I saw that I saw that in the theater, and I don't. It's weird. I don't really remember the CGI blood standing out all that much. Oh, it's what brutal. I, what I remember most was that <coughs> the theater was having some sort of like, I don't know, the screening of this. They were having. I know that there was a lot of military guys there, and there was also like, just like kind of generic people there like not 
it did, did they look like the kind of people that would go and see something at the Cineplex any on any given Friday. Right. And um I think these people were here maybe because they had a discounted ticket, but also because they thought they were gonna see a Viking movie. Right. Yeah. And yeah. this theater emptied out so, so yeah. quickly over the first like hour. I can see like, that without having. Yeah, it was really, it was really kind of humorous to watch. Because I mean, it, it's, uh, I had kept, you know, had kept hearing that he was putting out this Viking movie, Viking movie, Viking movie, and then I remember when Will went to TIFF and watched it and talked about it, and uh, it, um, you know, it's not. I mean, it is a kind of about Vikings and kind of a Viking movie, sort of, but it's a very art, art, arty movie. Yeah. And I can see where, you know, there's several times where I've thought about showing it to my friends, but I think that they would have the same reaction, like, this is boring. Yeah. What the fuck is this? There's hardly any. And the thing with the CGI blood is, when you watch it, um, there's just there's just several uh, incidents of um, really quick uh, violence, and it happens. But it's, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't take you out of it that much because it's just quick and it's there. But, you know, it's not like the whole movie is just a one big battle. And I think right. some people would have liked it if one the movie was one big battle. Um, the next movie, or no, it's not a movie. I watched uh, the newest episode of Louis, uh, which um, Louis C.K. and I watched that this morning, and uh, it was pretty good. I liked it. Um, he um, Stephen Wright talks him into uh, staying. He's getting ready to go home after he does his set, and Stephen Wright's sitting at the bar and says, "Dude, you need to hang around and get some pussy." You killed, man. You can get all the pussy you want. You know, you sit out here and you can just get pussy. And so he's like, eh, I just gotta go home and pick my kids up tomorrow. So he lets him talk him into it. And then this uh, woman, as he's, he sits there and strikes out over and over, doesn't even try, but just strikes out over and over and over because he's old and fat and bald and looks like <laughs> shit. And uh, as he's walking out, this woman pulls up and she says, uh, You know, I thought you were great. And I want to sh- show you my pussy. So, um, so then it just goes from there. But it was good. It was pretty good. I I recommend that show every week, and it's probably the only series right now that I'm watching. Uh, I watched The Killing on AMC, but it's uh, its season hasn't started yet. I might start watching Sons of Anarchy again, but um, I kind of got out of the whole theory of thing because I got I got too much time on my hands, and I like to watch movies instead. Um. Next thing I watched, which was really good. Okay, I was at Walmart and I was looking just to maybe pick something up, and um, beside, right beside the Blu-ray of four, they had a little DVD uh, that said Thor, Loki, Blood Blood Brothers, mm-hmm. and I thought, what's this? You know, and it looked like it was just it was an animated thing, you know, but the um, the uh, artwork on it was just fucking really cool as shit. So I thought, well, ten bucks, you know, why not? I'll pick it up. I, you know, I just went to get uh, uh, something for the dogs and uh, something for myself. So I got to pick myself up a treat, and I was resisting the uh, subliminal messaging of Walmart. So I picked it up and I brought it home. And what it is, it's a, um, it's a motion comic. And I had heard about these, but I'd never seen one. And this was fucking fantastic. Um. I would put it above the Thor movie definitely because what they did was this was actually a um, uh, Marvel Knights actually did a uh, like say a short series maybe a four issue short series uh, called uh, Thor Loki Blood Brothers and it's from the perspective of Loki 
and the whole thing's through the, from the perspective of Loki. And um, um, when I said that Thor, because I'm like kind of a hardcore guy, I wish it would have been. It, Thor was fun and it had funny stuff in it. Um, I almost, since Kenneth Branagh did it, uh, I would have s- suspected when I first heard Kenneth Branagh that he would have done something like Thor, Loki, Blood Brothers. Because this shit was fucking good. The story was excellent. And unlike if, – if they would have taken this and marketed it towards um, – you know, because they don't want to get an R rating or a PG-13 because they want kids to be able to go see it. Yeah. They would have taken the same story and just fucked it up and made it lighthearted and everything. This is not lighthearted, and this is a badass story. It's, it's, it's really good. Uh, then <laughs> this morning, <coughs> I – um. While I was hacking and sneezing and um, doing all that stuff, I uh, broke out my um, Hammer Horror box set that I have. And this one, it's a, it's a two-disc set, but on each DVD, you have like two or three movies on either side of the DVD. So you've got a bunch of movies on there. And I watched uh, uh, The Kiss of the Vampire. And... Um, this one, I it, it it had some funny stuff in it because the um, the um, I guess he would be the hero. They had a Van Helsing like doctor, and he was pretty cool. Um, but then the the uh, the femme fatale or the the chick that was you know the the main chick, uh, she wasn't a femme fatale. She was just a a putz who um, who screamed a lot. But her boyfriend slash husband, oh my God, talk, uh, talk about putts. This guy was the biggest clueless dumbass on the planet Earth. He kind of looked, I, I, I can't even, he looked like if Dean Martin and maybe Eric Estrada or something had sex and shit out a baby. <laughs> sort of like that, but man, he was so clueless. I mean, everything that was going on, he was like... He would be the guy that somebody could have their hand up his wife's skirt uh, right beside of him, and he wouldn't even notice. He'd be like, so, how are you today? Oh, I see you're enjoying yourself. I mean, it was like, Jesus Christ, dude, get your head out of your ass. Um, yes, he would have saved everybody a lot of trouble. But it wasn't that good, and I got some laughs out of it, making fun of it, and that's about it. Uh, the next one was called Nightmares. And um, now this was uh, probably... I think maybe mid sixties, um, but it's uh, or 1964. Yeah, it was a year before I was born. Uh, that tells you, gives you a little insight on how old I am. I'll probably be dead before this podcast is over. Um, but this was um, this was um, in black and white, which surprised me because uh, Kiss of the Vampire, which was the one I was just talking about, was in all in color and everything. This was in black and white, and I actually liked it. It was good. It was. Um, it you know of course it's a horror movie but it was um more psychological and um i thought the acting was pretty good in it i liked it i did, i never really heard of you know anybody that was in it but it was still pretty good it beat uh, kiss of the vampire and electra hands down and the next one uh which was straight up um hammer horror because you'll recognize uh some of the people in it was called night creatures mm-hmm. and the first one first uh person that was the star of it was the kush peter cushing Cush. and the other person that you'll know in this was oliver reed and um this is pretty good it <clears throat> you know most of these movies i think 
Um, I didn't check the runtime on, you know, specifically on all of them, but I think they, they, they all three ran about two hours. Um, but this one was pretty good and it was, (coughs) (coughs) it was a horror movie, but it was one of these ones where when they say night creatures, it was kind of a, more like a pirate movie. And, um, um, I don't know how to explain it, but they really weren't. I I I don't want to give anything away because somebody might, somebody may not have watched this or hadn't seen it and want to watch it, but it's still it's a good story and I thought it was pretty good. It's cool to watch uh, Cushing. Um, there was one part in it. There's a a, a guy that um, he's kind of built along the same lines and has the same look as Odd Job from um, um, Goldfinger, the James Bond movie. And uh, just like built like a tank, bald headed, you know, and everything. And he fights with uh, Peter Cushing. Mm-hmm. And Peter Cushing, you know what he lo- most people know what Peter Cushing looks like. He's kind of a beanpole. He's real skinny. He's got a skinny face and everything. And he, and he's like fighting with this fire plug of a guy and holding his own and at some points kicking his ass, like giving him a backdrop and shit. <laughs> and I'm like, no, wait a minute. I guarantee you that's not fucking Cushing. Cause if he tried to give anybody a backdrop or something like that, or slam him or something, you know, it's like, fuck, I call stunt man. That's a body double. That's not Peter Cushing's ass. <laughs> but, um, so anyway, um, that's that. I got, um, my new issue of, um, uh, Paracinema magazine in the mail, and uh, nice uh, nice articles in there. They had a uh, a really uh, cool article about um, Bella Lugosi, and about uh, <laughs> I thought this was pretty funny. They had a really good article in there about uh, like uh, Turkish remakes of movies. Nice. So you know uh, that's it, it was pretty good. Um, also, um, Aaron uh, is uh, Death Rattle. Uh, Death Rattle thirteen or isn't that what it is? Yes. Okay. I I I wrote down Death Rattle. I know. I thought pretty sure it was Death Rattle thirteen. He did an interview with um uh, with Roger Ward, and I I actually posted this, and I kind of have to apologize because you know I told Roger Ward that you know we would mention on his show that his book The Set is available, and uh, I had you know I'm not from Australia, and um, I don't know that much about. Australian movies and stuff other than, you know, like Mad Max and watching the, um, the, um, that documentary, uh, not quite Hollywood. Um, but I thought that his book was a, like a bio of, and that's what I said on the last show, you know, it's really good. You know, I haven't got it, but it's, you'll like it because it's going to follow him around all the stuff he's done. Well, actually he wrote a, a novel, and it's kind of based on his experiences in the theater and in the movies and stuff like that. But it's not a bio. It's a novel. It's a work of fiction. And they actually made a movie about uh, his novel uh, called The Set. And I think coming up uh, in the near future, uh, Terry Frost and I are going to be um, reviewing The Set on Paleo Cinema. But I just wanted to clear that up because – and I actually sent Roger an email and told him, you know, hey, dude, I – you know. Um, I'm a dumb American or whatever, but you know, I didn't, I didn't realize what the book was and it is a novel and I still have it coming. So as soon as it gets here, I'm going to start reading it. And the last thing I want to say that I'm reading is, uh, and I was telling loaf before we started the show because I didn't want to be on here hacking and coughing, had a nice soak 
had a nice soak in the hot tub and uh which the, when I say the hot tub, that means my bathtub with hot water, not that I have a hot tub. <laughs> and uh, I was reading The Last Outlaw by Stan Hansen, and a guy that is actually a friend of mine, Scott Teal, wrote this book. Uh, with uh, He like ghost wrote it with uh, Stan Hansen, uh, the pro wrestler. And so far, I'm about uh, 100 pages into it. And if you like Rathlin, Daddy, and I know we talk about Rathlin a lot on this show, uh, Stan Hansen's like a legend. And he's got a lot of behind-the-scenes stories about traveling on the road and stuff like that, and it's really good. I love, and, uh, I, I love Stan Hansen. Oh my! It's it's he has been everywhere and talks about just about every wrestler you can think of, and um, yeah, check that out if you get a chance. Uh, it's available on online, and uh, just about every book that I've gotten from Scott, um, he doesn't make a lot of money. Uh, he did, he's done a few shoot interviews. He had a magazine, like it was kind of like a, like, uh, whatever happened to, I think is what it was called. And it was like a magazine that he put together where he'd go find these old wrestlers and interview them. And, you know, you could purchase those. I think you can still get some of those issues, uh, back issues of those. Uh, he's done several, several books and just about every one of them, you know, it's, it's worth the money. And like I said, he doesn't make a lot of money off of it. But um, he does a hell of a good job, and uh, yeah, I recommend this one of the the Last Outlaw, Stan the Lariat Hanson, and that's about all I have. And cool. I did not. I'm now I'm gonna have to uh, put an oxygen mask on, <laughs> and uh, I'll let Loaf uh, take over with what he's been watching. Yeah. Oh, and the Aaron's blog is actually the Death Rattle. It's just the DeathRattle.net. I, I I do think at one time it was DeathRattle13, mm. um, but it is the DeathRattle.net at this. Yeah, point, and I, so. I read that interview last night as soon as I saw it because I had told him. He said, you know, does anybody have any connections or whatever? And I had just said, you know, hey, I'd been talking to Roger Ward and. Uh, I know that he's got this book coming out, and he might, you know, be interested in, and uh, if you send him some questions or something. And as soon as I um, saw that it was out, I was like, "Oh, cool!" You know, I, he he got an interview with him, and uh, I read it uh, last night. And you know, like I said, I love wrestling, and he talks about when he was in wrestling in Australia, and some, you know, a lot of the stuff how he got involved in movies, and uh, even the stuff where he's talking about when he how or where he grew up and what it was like living in Australia when he grew up and describing the house they lived in and where they lived there. It's really interesting. So yeah, give it a shot. Cool. Check it out. All right. So, uh, yeah, I watched quite a bit too. So maybe I'll try to truck through this. Um, I, uh, right after we recorded last week, uh, my wife who was already feeling ill, uh, started, she was watching some, uh, Wallace and Gromit DVDs that she borrowed, uh, one of her clients let her borrow. Um, so I actually watched Wallace and Gromit in the Curse of the Were Rabbit, and I had never even seen any Wallace and Gromit before. I knew mm. what it was, but and it was really good. I mean, it's mm. it's it's amazing that it's you know, all stop motion. I mean, this is a feature length, you know, hour mm-hmm. and thirty minute movie. You know, I never seen Chicken Run, which I think was like nominated for Oscars or something, but um, <coughs> this was, um, I guess, a, you know, it's it's definitely a comedy, but it mm. definitely has the uh, like dry british humor in it it's 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 a lot of fun it's worth checking out um i watched um unfortunately in pieces but uh i watched infernal affairs um this is the hong kong movie uh well directed by two guys that i don't really recognize but um it's the it was remade into the departed um i don't know i like I, i like this a lot I can't decide if I like it like it better than 
The Departed. Um, the Departed ends up being a lot like kind of hinging more on uh, strong performances, as where this is purely story. Mm. Um, the the guys that are in it are really good, but it doesn't like linger a long time on like character type stuff. And I, I know some people have said like Jack Nicholson was a little ridiculous in The Departed, but um, you know, over the top Jack Nicholson is still fun regardless. So this doesn't have Mark Wahlberg in it either. Uh, no, no, no naked Mark Wahlberg in this one. Um, yeah. with rubber gloves or whatever it was. Oh, <coughs> the uh, it's got some serious static from you. Um, it sounded like you were rubbing a paper bag or plastic bag on the mic. I ran my fingers through my pubic hair. Oh, uh, for flying. <laughs> the um, you son of a bitch. You son. Of- Infernal affair. So yeah, good stuff. Um, I watched um something I've had on DVD for a while. Um. It has several names. Um, the one I have is called Highway Racer. It's also called Poliziotto Sprint. Uh, it's also called Convoy Busters. It's a um, a Euro crime movie directed by Stelvio Massi. It's uh, starring Maurizio Merli without a mustache. It's kind of weird looking. Um, he uh, it, it's a, it's a Euro crime movie, but it focuses mainly on cars. Um, it's pretty cool. Uh, it really drags a few times, but um, the the car stunts in it are pretty insane. Um, I mean, like driving on two wheels and everything. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I think that one's on Netflix, so that one's definitely worth checking out. Um, I watched The Burning, which um, Outside the Cinema reviewed this uh, a couple weeks ago, and um, it is written by one of the Weinsteins, produced by the other Weinstein. Um, this is ha- this is a very early Miramax movie, 1981, and it may or may not be a ripoff of Friday the 13th. I don't know if it was made before or after, but um, very similar story, like summer camp and um, you know pissed off guy coming back to get the get the counselor so um it's it's solid uh actually we're gonna we're gonna try to screen this at halloween at our theater so mm, cool. um it's on instant so definitely definitely check that one out if you haven't seen it because for i guess history's sake um just a random one another dvd i've had around forever never watched i've watched the first one but i watched the war of the gargantuas um it's the sequel to the frankenstein movie and from japan with the they're not really they call them frankensteins um they're actually these giant kind of cavemen looking things uh have you seen this one no this this is the the fight scene between the two gargantuas is what inspired the uh trailer fight with in uh, kill bill oh yeah yeah, yeah 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 that 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 i know that uh that um, God damn it! <laughs> My brain is not with me this morning. That Tarantino talked about the the fight and like he wanted these two like giant people fighting mm-hmm. over small things, which is like you know them busting through the walls and stuff. And that happens a lot in this. Just the two gargantuas fighting each other in cities. And just I like I like the monster fights in this one because a lot of the time with Godzilla movies, the monsters are pretty slow. I yeah, mean, they they do like scuffle, scuffle around and stuff and knock over buildings. But in this one. These these Frankenstein monsters go into full on sprints, and uh, <laughs> I mean they're running hard. It's really funny looking. I, I mean, liked jo- in, so, in some uh, of the um, 
Godzilla movies when they started getting kind of stupid. Yeah, like yeah. the the they like a lot of them would start doing almost like all Japan like wrestling moves, like clotheslines oh, and yeah. shit like that. I, and then Godzilla's uh, famous tail slide where he yeah, was, oh yeah, 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 yeah. It was like a drop kick, but sliding on his tail. And then on uh, I had a meeting for work on Sunday, and I scurried out of there after it was over to catch a ten fifteen showing of. Wait for it. I'm gonna I'm gonna play a little music here along this one. Hang on. Electra. Here we go. I went and saw the new film from Nicholas Vinding Refn, starring a very dreamy Ryan Gosling, a very poor die jobbed but still cute Carrie Mulligan, a Brian. Cranston with hair, and Albert Brooks being not funny at all. <laughs> 2011's Drive. And let me tell you, Daddy, if you haven't seen it yet, I want you to pause the podcast. I want you to run out, and I want you to see my now number one movie of 2011. It was phenomenal. Um... Yeah, so if you if you've seen Refn's stuff, uh, you'll uh, you'll see his style in the in the violence in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not a family movie, not a lot of profanity or nudity, but the, the the violence is pretty brutal. The driving is awesome. The soundtrack is incredible. It is what I'm playing a piece of now. Uh, Gosling is really good. Um, I, I, I just love this one and I will go see it again. My wife wants to go see it this weekend and I have no qualms about going back. Well, um, it must be good if it knocked Hobo with a shotgun out of the number yeah. one. <laughs> it knocked Hobo with a shotgun out of number one. Um, granted I haven't seen a ton of movies in 2011, but this, this, this one was amazing. I, I really, really liked it. Um, I sense that you, the, the erection growing in your pants as that music was coming, you know, building and building and building. I was starting to get a little frightened. Now, where the hell is he going with this? <laughs> um, yeah, dude, it's, dude, it's, it's really down. good. Um, I'm not going to go into a lot of it. It's, uh, there's an interesting, um, interesting story I posted on our Facebook group. Uh, not a no story. Uh, Conan O'Brien's interview with, um, with Gosling. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about the first meeting with Refn. And how like it just went terrible. Like Refn wasn't wouldn't talk to him. Was like looking at the ceiling and stuff. And uh, and he's like, you know what? I'm just I'm just gonna leave because Gosling actually chose Refn for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan Gosling was on the drive before a director was chosen, mm-hmm. and um, he had he was familiar with uh, with Refn's work, and um, you know asked for a meeting with him. And uh, so after the meeting that went poorly. Uh, Gosling was going to leave, and Refn was like, "Oh yeah, can I can I have a, dr- a ride home? Because I don't drive." <laughs> mm. And uh, so on the drive home, they were listening to uh, like he turned on the Gosling turned on the radio, and um, uh, Ario Speedwagon's like, "I can't fight this feeling anymore." <laughs> came on, and he, uh, he said he heard Refn crying. Oh and uh, looked over and like Refn turned to him and was like singing at full blast all of a sudden to this song with tears in his eyes. And he's like, this is it. This is what the movie is. It's going to be a guy that drives around Los Angeles at night and listens to pop music. <laughs> yes. So he said, I knew there was a reason why you liked it. So thanks to REO Speedwagon, uh, 
drive uh, was made. So, well, I'll tell you what. Uh, if you get on YouTube and look up any uh, like late night talk show interviews with Ryan Gosling, he is an entertaining yeah. uh, interviewee. And uh, yeah, so so I, I, this morning I got up and I I got my white satin scorpion jacket on, and my my squeaky driving gloves, and I sat down to do some podcasting. Hopefully I'm hopefully I'm half as cool as uh, the driver in this one, baby. Wait, you did you put pants on? No, of course uh-huh. not. Jesus, mm-hmm. why would I do Gotta that? Got to keep the stick shift handy if you will. <laughs> So yeah, Drive is awesome. Um, and I did actually watch things after this. So uh, you know what? I watched something before it too. Um, Cop Killer. This is a really weird one. Uh, this is Harvey Keitel and Johnny Rotten from the hmm. Sex Pistols. Um, not what I thought it was going to be. Uh, I, I don't want to give much away, but if you can track this down, it's worth checking out. It's not a great movie, but... You get to see Harvey Keitel in asshole mode, and Johnny Rotten's not too bad in the movie. I, I didn't ever, I've never seen anything that he's acted in. John Linden, yeah. Lid, Lydon, Lydon, Lydon. You, you kind of scared me when you said uh, you get to see Harvey Keitel in asshole because he's done some <laughs> nude scenes, and I thought, oh my god, I know he showed his tiny pecker in uh, in uh, Bad <laughs> Lieutenant, but if we get to see the full full blown. Gaping Kaitel butthole. There's no I'm down. <laughs> I will be there. There's not I've never even I, heard of that movie. It's uh it's called Order of Death. It's called Bad Cop Chronicles number two. It's called Corrupt. It's I think it's a movie that they had trouble um okay. marketing. Um right. it's from nineteen eighty three. It's oh, okay. Like I said, not a great movie, but it's interesting because it's just so different uh than what you would think with a movie called right. Cop Killer. Um, I'm a Kaitel fan, I, like I, much in the way that I was uh, talked about how I looked up just about everything that Dennis Hopper did right, there right. for a while. I was sort of the same way about Kaitel, and that's why I was surprised that I hadn't heard of it. But you know, it, hey, yeah, things I, slip through the cracks. I don't think it's ever had a, like an official DVD release. It's out there on DVD, but I'm pretty sure the DVD is a VHS rip anyway. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you can find it, it's it's worth watching, but it's probably going to look <laughs> shitty. Um, just know that. But it's all right. We we get used to that in this circle. Um, I watched circle after work, of trust. Uh, circle of trust. I, I watched and Ring of Fire, mm-hmm. and that's that means asshole. Uh, the I watched Macon County Line. Yeah, never saw, never seen it. Um, it really Max pissed Bear. me off when um, Mr. Sheriff. What's that guy's name? Uh, Max Bear Jr. Max Bear. Jethro yes. Bodine. He. Uh, when he was talking to his son about playing basketball with the black boys outside of uh, outside of his school, that oof, that was that that part made me angry more than anything else in the movie. <laughs> I don't know what what are you talking about. Well, he's like because he he came up. His son's in military school. I know he, what you're talking about. I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> God damn it! I, I was I was uh, playing the. Uh, Racist redneck uh, from West Virginia, <laughs> wait, which I'm not. Wait, that was that was racist. Oh, right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. No, it just pissed me off because it was too dark to see. I wanted I yeah. wanted to be well lit. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, but you know what? That's 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 one of those little things that um, in a movie like that, because Max Bear actually, you know, did the you know movie and everything, made a shitload of money off of it. Yeah. Um, because they made it for next to nothing, and it became like this big hit, uh, driving movie hit and everything. But um, you know, that's something that that little touch that they threw in there when he said that, because you know, really, 
there were quite a few times when he wasn't in his cop mode. Now, when he was dealing with with uh, with the uh, two guys and the girl, um, you know, he went into his full blown cop mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but a lot of the other times he was you know being dad, and you thought you know he's pretty good dad and everything. But he, when he's not being in, in, in asshole cop mode, you know, he seems like a pretty n- nice guy. But then they threw that in there, and you're like, but it kind of it kind of <laughs> gave that little you know. Okay, this is kind of ugly. Yeah. But but the one thing is, there's so many people that were, and I'm not making any kind of excuses or anything because I think it's you know horrible uh, that you know people would be brought up this way. But they grew up in the South and they were brought up that way, and it was yeah. just it's like nothing. I have some friends now that it's like nothing for them to say something like that, and yeah. I, I'm like, dude, that's racist. And they're like, I'm not racist. What are you talking about? You know? And I'm they like, okay, yeah, you are. It's 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 less malicious and more ignorance, but it's right. It's, it's, I guess I'm, I guess I could say it's it's to hear someone like express those beliefs to me is more frustrating than anything else. Well, and the thing is, it's like one of those things where when they're around when they're in their echo chamber around people that are like them they think nothing of saying that and then when they say something like that to someone who's not from that or who has rejected that they say it and they're like what are you getting so weirded out about you know and you're yeah. like no dude you don't understand you're you know you're a fucking asshole <laughs> so i got to play a little more of the uh, drive soundtrack while <laughs> here we go yes Soundtrack's so worth picking up. All right, so a uh, couple more. Tangerine. I watched... Is this Tangerine Dream? <laughs> it is. Uh, I don't know who did this song. Um, <laughs> I watched The Bicycle Thief. Talk about a change of pace. Um, from 1948. The um, uh, 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 Italian. I kept, my brain is wanting to say French. The Italian movie about the guy who gets his bicycle stolen, and it's... Kind of probably one of the best movies ever made or something. It was pretty good. I mean, it's Criterion, isn't it? It is on Criterion. It's called Bicycle Thieves for whatever reason. Um, so I've seen it as both the Bicycle Thief and Bicycle Thieves. Um, it's really good. It's uh, kind of the Italian, I guess, realist kind of film. So well, I think that's where they got, you know, when they did um, The Fast and the Furious and then they did Fast and Furious. <laughs> They got that from Bicycle Thieves and Bicycle Thief. I, they're very similar movies too, so I could see the connection there. Well, they're stealing. Yeah, and they, uh, there's lots of speed and um, lots of hot, hot chicks with their tits out. Yes. Um, I've never seen Fast and the Furious movies. Um, really? Nah, not my. Oh my God! If you like Drive, if you like you Bicycle should... Thieves, <laughs> if you like Drive, you'll love Fast and the Furious. <laughs> Vin Diesel's in it. Oh, uh, I know what I'm watching next week. Um, Nicholas Winding Refn, <laughs> The Fast and the Furious Earl. Uh, bicycle, bi- the Bicycle Thief. It's uh, it's 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 a downer. I'll say that. Have you seen that? No, I don't like downer movies. I'm, I try and be pretty much a, a positive. He only uh, watches Thor. And Electra, Thor, Wolverine. You know. Fuck you, me. Sammy. <laughs> Talking shit on Thor. Oh my god, this is going on forever. Okay, I'm gonna go move on. <laughs> we got one more. Uh, I watched. The, I bought the Raiders of Atlantis on VHS. I had this uh-huh. on um, one of the Mill Creek sets, and mm-hmm. I think the VHS tape that I have is a better print of it. <laughs> nice. Um, you know, uh, the, the gentleman reviewed this in one of their first ten episodes, and 
the first time I saw it, I think I was half paying attention because I was watching it this time. I was like, you know, this is a lot more entertaining than I remember it. Um, it's a little ridiculous. The I big, need to see that. The big, uh, yeah, plastic uh, skull mask and fucking the Atlantis, who's just some movie that's out oh, some island that's probably in the Florida Keys or something, and uh, it's entertaining. It's it's a little ridiculous. So, so yeah, that was it. Uh, Raiders of Atlantis. I finished last night, and uh, that wraps up my week. So. <laughs> wow, over an hour we just spent on uh, on what we watched. So it must Man. have been a slow week for us uh, socially. Well, so. I thought it was a slow week for me f- for movies. <laughs> I, I mean, a- up until up until um, when I called off last night, <laughs> I, I had like five movies, and I thought Loaf's going to love me this week because I haven't watched <laughs> very many movies. But then I had nothing to do from eleven o'clock till like for 12 hours right, right. until we started doing the show so I just watched a whole shitload of movies I, I will say um, I also have been watching a couple of TV shows this week I find, I'm catching up I, I always get behind on my TV shows because I don't have cable so I have to watch the shows after the fact um, I watched uh, I'm catching up on season 4 of Breaking Bad mm-hmm. um, that is my favorite show on TV hands down I saw Michael or uh, what, uh, Stephen Bauer I, I flipped it I was flipping last night and Stephen Bauer from uh Scarface is like what some kind of Mexican uh, drug lord, and the, he the, gets the, him. The old dude, or the he's he's like the main guy. He has him down there around his pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. all the bikini girls and everything. And he's, I mean, of course, you know, I think of him back then when he was in Thief of Hearts and when he was in uh, Scarface, and I mean, he was skinny as a rail. Well, now he's like probably a little bit older than me, and he's a bigger guy. He was in. Um, traffic too mm-hmm. but uh i always like steven bauer you know it's a it's have you watched the show fast i watched the first season it's one of those ones that i watched i think like the first season maybe a little bit of the second one and then uh, i'm not that great with uh with um series anymore because i forget when they're on <laughs> okay. well <laughs> so it's on netflix instant so you can yeah. go back and revisit it i i definitely recommend you do it and anybody else because it's a great show. Um, well, that's how I watched The Killing because I would just or right. Louie uh, on in demand. You can just watch them whenever you want, and so you know it's. But it's 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 just for me. To, and I know some of these shows are really good, but to get invested in them and everything, and you know, right. I don't know what it is. Um, I if I do watch them, I I almost would rather watch wait until an entire season's over. And then when I have a night off or something, watch them back to back to back to back to back. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how I usually do it too. Um, and I and I've also started watching finally uh, season two of Archer, um, mm-hmm. hilarious animated show. If you haven't seen that one, it's it's worth checking. I've, out I've too. seen like a couple episodes. Yeah. I liked it. I it, uh, pretty- it seems like a hit or miss with a lot of people, but I'm I'm one of the hits. So you're you're, you're a smart you're a smart guy. I'm smart. Cool. Mm-hmm. So um, let's take a little break. Why don't we? And uh, go drain our bladders and do some coffin, and then yeah, uh, coffin. We'll come back and let's do. How about we'll do Eddie and the Cruisers first? All righty. All right, we'll be right back. Did you know that Asian people prefer being called Orientals? Did you know that Ching Chong Ting Tong is a respectful salutation in all Asian cultures? Did you know that paper cuts can cause massive arterial sprays in Orientals? No? Well, then you should listen to Podcasts Without Honor and Humanity, the Internet's fourth best Asian film podcast. 
Every week, your host, Jake McLarchers, will cover two Asian films that can range from the obscure to the notorious, from a Sonny Chiba werewolf film to a splattergore atrocity, from Category 3 to the Korean New Wave and beyond. Tune in at the website podcastwithouthonorandhumanity.libsyn.com. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. Or you can just search Podcast Without Honor Humanity in iTunes. So give Podcast Without Honor Humanity a shot and get cultured. Flawless victory. We're back. Um, sorry, I'm going to let the breaks play a little longer this week because we got some awesome music to listen to from these two movies. Um, our first movie we're going to review here, Eddie and the Cruises from uh, 1983. Zom, I'll let you uh, give a little intro here. Yeah, I got to put down my tambourine, daddy. <laughs> um, Maggie Foley is a reporter who's interviewing the surviving members of a band whose music is being revived. Memories of the band's leader, Eddie Wilson, are being relived as Frank Ridgway is reunited with old members of the band. As the memories are being relived on the screen, it becomes clear that someone is looking for the lost unpublished tapes of the band's final recording, and that someone might be. Eddie. <laughs> All right, so this was my second time seeing Eddie and the Cruisers. The first time only two weeks ago. Um, Zom made much fun of me for not knowing who Michael Perret is. And honestly, I still don't really recognize him that much. <laughs> um, this is a... This is a... I guess I guess kind of follows the typical band movie formula. Um... It, it does have that twist in there of being mostly in flashback. Um, the parts that you see with the band kind of follow what a band movie would do. and then But it's kind of an interesting twist in that the movie takes place in current day, which I guess is like 1980. Because mm-hmm. um, they say, let's see, I'm, I'm going to do the math. 81. Um, because they say that Eddie died 18 years ago, which is in or 63, 64. Maybe it's 82. Somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, the movie starts off awesome. This is um, I, I really like the intro credits where it's like Eddie and the Cruisers in huge red letters uh, painting across the screen, and then fast like white 
small Eddie and the Cruisers like going across, and uh, you hear the child, the, a crowd chanting Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. Eddie. exactly. Yeah. Um, maybe I should just have a loop of that playing our entire, uh, <laughs> <laughs> our entire now that review would be here. Cool. Um, this is um, directed by Martin Davidson, who didn't seem to do a lot. I think he did a lot of TV stuff. Um, he also wrote it. Um, Martin Davidson must be really interested. I bet I, I'm going to wager he is a Bruce Springsteen fan. Mm. Um, he also did a movie called The Lords of Flatbush, which I've heard of but never seen. Oh, that's a good movie. Um, Stallone and yeah, Henry Winkler. <laughs> Stallone and Henry Henry Winkler. Henry Winkler is anybody but the Fonz is just weird. But it looks like from the cover that he's playing. Even the looks Fonz like the Fonz. Yeah, yeah. Butchie Weinstein is his name in that movie. <laughs> and Perry Perry King. <laughs> um and Perry King playing Chico Tyrell. Anyway, that's the Lords of Flatbush. This is Eddie and the Cruisers. <laughs> um this is uh it, it, it like I said, it takes place in nineteen eighty two, but it flashes back to it's the late fifties, early sixties. Um, the uh, I guess it's really more of a story. It's called Eddie and the Cruisers, but it kind of follows Tom Berenger's character, uh, Frank, a little cl- more closely. He is I don't remember what they called him in the movie. Like word, word man, word man, and he um he was kind of I guess the uh, the catalyst that kind of got the band really going because he had a different way of writing songs. Um, they were already popular locally, and um. What he did is kind of like he's a he was a English guy, um, like poetry and stuff like that, and he brought a kind of a maturity to their music where um, they might not have had it before. They were doing like cover songs and stuff like that, and um, I really like that's actually one thing I really liked about it was um, the contrast with uh, the cr- the creativity. I guess um, you know there's one big force in the band. This is a uh, uh, Sal, he's the he's the bassist. Um, you know, he thinks the band needs to go one way. They need to play music that people can dance to, and and blah blah blah. And then Wordman comes in. Well, Wordman is brought in by Michael Pare. Um, they're because they're playing at a bar that he works at. Um, and <laughs> it's funny they um, the 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 makeup in the movie to make people look younger. Uh, the uh, the the Behringers they do they do the age old trick with Behringer to make him look younger of just making his hair flatter. Yeah. <laughs> they kind of push it down in his forehead, and I gotta say it's definitely uh, it's definitely more effective making him look younger than um, making Joey Pants look older with his yeah. fucking uh, polyester hair. Um, we um we when we were watching this, um, I asked my friend who's like a year older than me. I said, how do you, how old do you think Behringer was in this movie? He goes, ah, you know, probably like what like. 24 25 and then we looked it up and he was actually like you know in his you know early you know early 30s i think by like 32 something like that maybe 34 they they did a really good job i guess making him seem younger than he was yeah um, he um but anyway back to the other with the, the 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 contrast in the band with uh you know you have you have Sal who wanted to do pop music yeah. and then you have um Eddie who you know brings in Wordman and wants you know the songs to mean something and there mm-hmm. it's that's that's the I guess the conflict that arises in the band. There's some other little things too, but that's the main issue with the band is that you know the two different creative directions they want to take. 
Um, I do have to ask: Has Joey Pants ever not played a slime ball in a movie? Ugh. I think it's I think it's his. And, and you know, you do you do kind of feel bad for him. He is a he is kind of a dirt bag, but in this one at least, <laughs> in this one at least, he is a little bit. Uh, you feel a little bit sorry for him, but um, he uh, he's kind of like the I guess he's the the manager tour manager or something. Even though their tour is usually just going down to the bar and playing <laughs> at, the, at the waterfront. Um, and it's it's cool the way they uh, you really get a feel like this might have been a real ba- real band, and this is definitely helped by the soundtrack, um, mm-hmm. the John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Beaver Brown band. Right. Yeah. Uh, they they did most of the music, and um, they they owe a lot to Bruce Springsteen. I gotta say. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and like I think I said a couple weeks ago, I actually thought Dark Side was a Bruce Springsteen song until I actually looked into it further. Um, well, he was, he was, I guess someone said that he was, uh, oh no, actually I'm getting that screwed up with the next movie with Streets <laughs> of Fire. Springsteen was going to put a, uh, do a song for Streets of Fire. And then when he found out that they wanted to take his song, I think, which was called Streets of Fire and have somebody else sing it, he backed out. But that's, I'm getting them confused at it. And a little behind the scenes, I just did the same fucking thing. That break I just played, <laughs> I, I was, I I don't know what I was thinking. Wait, the song came on, Dark Side came on, which is the song in this movie. You're going to hear it like three or four times, and if, if you like it, you're going to love it after the movie. But um, they, uh, <laughs> they, um, I totally just lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah, the, uh, it, it started playing, and for some reason I was thinking Streets of Fire, and I was like, wait, 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 we can't play this break. We've got to start over again. And then it, I just had to sit there and stare at my screen for a second for my brain to fucking start working again. I'm like, oh, wait, that was the right break to play. So um, I, I was really confused. You're so weird. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah, Joey Pants, um, He, uh, I was mentioning his aged makeup in this one. Um, luckily, everybody else can just look modern day, modern day being 1982. Um, mm-hmm. But they had to make him look older, obviously, because he was already grown and uh, managing this band in the, in the early 60s. His his wig. Now I know the guys had had some has some thin hair and stuff, but they obviously had a bald cap on them and a bald and a, you know balding man's hair wig. <laughs> oh, that's fucking, horrible. His fucking hair looks like that uh, fake polyester fur that they used to make like puppets and stuffed animals. <laughs> 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 They're driving him and uh, him and Eddie. Was it Eddie? No, him and Todd uh, Tom Berenger are driving, and um, the in the night light. Uh, even his hair was like glistening with that like polyester look. <laughs> it looked really bad. Um, uh, luckily for Perret, they don't have to do uh, old makeup, so he gets to look like Bruce, and um, he even looks like Bruce Springsteen with his fucking t-shirt and everything. But cooler than Bruce, cooler I think Bruce, Bruce tried to try and look like Eddie when he got older because <laughs> he's. Uh, you could tell when Springsteen first started because I was a big Springsteen fan when when he was like first started. Uh, he was a little skinny dude, yeah, and then yeah, when yeah. he started after um, uh, Born in the USA, you could tell he's like doing a lot of curls because he <laughs> wanted to have big guns like Eddie. Because yeah. let me tell you something, Eddie was Jack, dude. He was, he was. Uh, Perea was bringing the bringing the heat with those guns of his. Um, he uh, and I gotta say, he's pretty convincing on the mic. Uh, you know, you look at him in the the. The facial aerobics that he does when he sings are, can look a little silly, but yeah. I think it worked. I mean, you know, I, I, I bought that he might be singing. 
and 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 I noticed like several times uh, when he was playing the guitar, he would you know do like a natural thing that some people do where they turn kind of toward the the drummer, uh, and I think they probably did that uh, on purpose so you couldn't see where his hands were. Because, you know, a oh, yeah. lot of people, when they watch a movie where a guy is supposedly playing a guitar, if you know how to play a guitar and you're sitting there going, that looks like shit. He's not even fucking moving <laughs> his hands or he's playing power chords and it's supposed to be a solo or something. But he kind of turns away, you know, turns to different angles you, so you really can't see it that much. You, you, you can, can see it sometimes. Yeah, you do, you do see it sometimes and you can tell that dude does not know how to play guitar. <laughs> I don't know how to play guitar and I knew he was not yeah. doing anything. Um, but, but now uh, what's her name? She, she looked like she could play the tambourine, but, but yes. I think that's about all she did do. Helen Schneider was amazing Ooh. on tambourine. <laughs> that's, that, she, that's about the only, I, uh, she was Eddie's, uh, love interest. Of course, you know, yeah. the girl in the band, the backup singer kind of thing, which she didn't really sing all that much. I mean, she, she would not. kind of dance around and play the tambourine. And which and my, is, wait, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, my sister, uh, who loved this movie. Um, she would always make fun of uh, the the you know Helen Snyder because she was just awful, and I, apparently she moved to Germany or something and became like a a, a, a pop singer or a jazz singer or something, and she's yeah, like she, really famous over there. She, but she, she never has did albums. Sh- yeah, she never did she after this, and, and I know why. Well, I was I was uh, <laughs> I was I took this note while I was watching it. And I said, you know, there was an episode of Seinfeld where Jerry dated this girl who looked nice only in certain light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were Two certain fakes. times in this movie where Schneider was so hot, like she would walk in, and I don't know what it was, but it would just change all of a sudden. It's like, was that the same person? Her '80s look was definitely bad. But there's a scene re- really early in the movie where Todd or Tom Berenger uh, is sweeping up in the bar during the day and she walks in in this like 50 style bathing suit and she yeah. was pretty smoking there and Behringer pops up pops a woody yeah and then they just walk in they're like tell him the cruisers are here <laughs> um the um so yeah the basically the the film is uh it, it it's kind of trailing uh frank uh tom Behringer as he's I guess getting reacquainted with everybody he used to be in the band with because there's some there's some stuff going down with like everybody's house is getting fucked up and they since it's all old band members they figure that somebody's looking for these tapes that were <laughs> that were uh recorded and never released um Season in Hell Season in Hell and they they do a cool thing at the beginning with the um the the uh reporter saying that you know there's a the poet wrote Season in Hell and then all you know disappeared and didn't want to be bothered anymore with the whole with being in the spotlight and everything. And, and wasn't the poet's name Rambo? R- yeah, 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 something like that. It was weird. <laughs> it's um, like, yeah, hey, yeah, season in hell, fucker. Did we get to win this time? <laughs> I'm gonna go hide in the woods and shoot some people. <laughs> um, so she has the theory that Eddie is also in hiding, not actually dead. And um, so the movie kind of goes from there, and and Tom Berenger is also kind of out maybe trying to figure out what's going on too. Um, and everybody's house is getting messed up where somebody's maybe looking for these old uh, season and hell tapes. And, and it goes from there. Um, the, uh, there's a cool, I, I really like the part um, at the holiday Inn uh, where you get a Sal. nice, yeah. With Sal, Sal is now leading still the cruisers. I guess they still call themselves Eddie and the cruisers. I can't. Yeah. Featuring Sal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sal Amato. Um, 
So <laughs> Sal is now kind of the lead singer, except for that one douchebag that sang Dark Side. Yeah, and I'm not sure what the hell. I was, maybe it's because Sal just didn't have the voice, the the kind of badass voice for that. And that maybe guy that didn't could, either. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Maybe that was John Cafferty. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the guy that comes in looking like Squiggy uh, sings uh, sings uh, Dark Side in the Holiday Inn. Yeah. Um, but they they give a good <laughs> contrast with, um, you know, the my uh, Frank is there checking out checking out the band and also talking to the reporter. Well, he runs into the reporter there. And um, there's a nice contrast there where he kind of is remembering. And that's usually how it goes is Frank yeah. remembering old like moments with the band in the few years that he was with them. Um, but, you know, they, they start performing the douchey version of Dark Side and then he flashes back to them, uh, them writing the song Dark Side on the Roof. Um, it's a pretty neat scene with uh, kind of with Frank kind of learning how to play rock piano as opposed to his poet side. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's, it's cool that they, they didn't even bother showing, you know, they flip back to Holiday and they don't even bother showing them performing Wild Summer Nights. They just go straight back to the 60s. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, it kind of implies that Behringer, he couldn't even, he doesn't really care. Like he, he obviously had an okay relationship with Sal, but didn't really care about what they sounded like now because he was mm-hmm. really only concerned with what was going on in the past. Um, yeah, the uh, the the band personalities are brought out pretty well. I mean, the there's a saxophonist. They don't really go into m- a whole lot with like his personality and the drummer. I mean, briefly, but mostly it's Sal and Eddie, and then Frank is kind of like a, I guess almost like a go between between uh, with them, or maybe maybe Eddie's the go between and Frank's kind of what Eddie would like to be. I'm not sure, but. Um, interesting mix there with them well it's like uh well he always said uh that eddie always said that he was the music and uh frank was the the words and i think that he kind of thought of sal as he almost like sal was almost like his like uh, not a lackey but you know he didn't really i think eddie treated sal kind of like uh not like shit but he just like was really dismissive of him, yeah. Uh, and like he almost like he didn't have like respect for him or something. And you know, and then Sal was like, you know, what the fuck, dude? I'm in the band because every they got everybody else got along pretty much, right, right. But Sal was always the guy that Eddie kind of clashed with because, like I said, I think Eddie was more like um, uh, thought of himself more like an artist, like he wanted to be taken seriously. And not doing Betty Lou's got a new pair of shoes, you know, uh, which was Sal's big uh, contribution to the band, which he did, you know, uh, that was one of his highlights at the Holiday Inn in his tuxedo or whatever the fuck that thing was with the scarf around his neck. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. The Holiday Inn. Jesus Christ. But that uh, guy, the guy that played Sal was, I mean, if you think about someone like that, that that does like the nostalgia uh, tour at the Holiday Inn, and they sing like uh, you know Moon River and shit like that. Yeah. I mean, he was the epitome of that, so he did a really good job. Yeah, the um, the I really like when they it show it's a, it's a, in one of the flashbacks they're singing that <laughs> Betty Lou, and you could tell um, now the the eventual argument that happens is not really this, but you can tell uh, Eddie is just. Ugh, like as he's singing it, he kind of shakes his head like this is lame. Like <laughs> Be- Betty Lou's got a new pair of shoes, and he's like ooh ah ooh ah, and then he <laughs> shakes his head <laughs> like oh god, what am I doing? Um, so um, you know, and, and I'm not really giving away anything here if I say that it, you know, 
with any kind of band movie, there's got to be some kind of rift that forms in the band that's followed by an onstage drama. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do appreciate that in this, the onstage drama wasn't so ridiculous. You know, like they kept it pretty low key. So mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not overly cliche. Um, there, it's just, it's kept to a minimum. There, there's kind of a big show at a college and the drama that happens on stage is honestly not even related to the creative side of things. Um, but you can see another rift forming and I, I like, I like how it's kept to a, to a minimum. Um, right. And, and, and then there's another, there's another neat scene in a, in a junkyard that I won't go into too much cause it kind of, it's kind of a good character plot twist. Well, not twist, but kind of exploring the Eddie character. Um, I thought that was a pretty neat scene too. So, um, the, this is a, a a tough one, a tough movie to make a lot of observational stuff on. The, the, the soundtrack's really good. Uh, the story is interesting in that you know, with the flashbacks, the constant flashbacks, the the present day plot. I wasn't super into it, mm-hmm. um, especially the ultimate uh, what what ends up happening was kind of like oh okay that's oh is that what's going to happen All right um but it's 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 a it's a solid solid film um but yeah i'll let you uh, i'll let you cover some things if you'd like i know your uh your voice might fail <laughs> Dying. Soon, so yeah <coughs> um i um this was like a like i said a it was kind of like an old favorite not because it was the greatest movie ever or anything yeah the 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 um the soundtrack, you know, I, I still have it on vinyl down in my basement uh, with no um, turntable. Um, <laughs> but um, it, it was really popular. I mean, it was really big. And um, I know that when we saw this, and MTV used to show the uh, – because I, I think I posted on, on uh, the Silver and Gold um, uh, group on Facebook uh, the video – uh, that they used to show on MTV all the time, which was straight from the movie, Michael yeah, Perea yeah. up there singing and everything. And people, you know, were like, oh, fuck, you know, God, that was so great. And, you know, Eddie uh, got Eddie and the Cruisers are great and everything. And and one thing that, that kind of killed it a little bit, because I, you know, just remembering how things were back then, is when they started having John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band go around singing and they would show them on like a late night talk show or something. And people saw... That it wasn't Michael Pere, <laughs> because John Cafferty is kind of like, um, like Patrick Swayze had uh, his brother. There was act- Patrick Swayze actually has a brother that's been in a lot of movies that plays kind of a heel character, and he looks like uh, if you took Patrick Swayze and put him on a a uh, a uh, copy machine and made a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, he kind of <laughs> looks like Patrick Swayze, but there's something off, and he's not really good looking. Well, that's if you took Bruce Springsteen and made a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, that's what John Cafferty looks like, and and, like and sounds like yeah he yeah he's not he's <laughs> not really that great looking or anything, and and people wanted it's almost like a Millie Vanilli thing. Yeah, if they would have said these are the guys and this is it, they could have gotten away with it because people were so into it, they loved it. But then when they saw the real guys, they were like, "Ah, oh, it's kind of a letdown." I want Eddie, you know. I don't want I'll play. I'll play some Betty Lou for you too. Beaver Brown. <laughs> Betty Lou got a new pair of shoes. <laughs> All right, sorry. <laughs> and um, so anyway, um. <laughs> I think, too, remembering back to that time 
And I don't know if this was an inspiration for it or not, because it happened right around the same time. I remember when I first started and uh, when I graduated, it was either uh, my senior year of high school or when I graduated and started college. Um, they put out a, uh, a Doors album. And the Doors hadn't been around for, for you know, since, what, the, the 60s, early 70s. Right. And uh, all of a sudden, I think they found some, they either found some uh, recordings or whatever, and they put out this album. I think it was called Alive, She Cried. And it, uh, they had a version of the Doors doing the song Gloria, the Van Morrison song Gloria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it became a huge hit <laughs> uh, in, in the mid-'80s. It became this huge hit. All of a sudden, the Doors were back and everything. And they, oh, there was always speculation that Jim Morrison didn't really die. And he was kind of like the same – that's different kind of music, okay? Of course, you know, between Eddie and the Cruiser's music and the Doors. But Jim Morrison was always kind of like an Eddie guy where he was like, you know, ah, Light My Fire that Robbie Krieger wrote was this huge popular pop rock song. But he was like, eh, fuck this shit. I want to do the end, and I want to do, you know, this really dark and meaningful song. So it's kind of there was a parallel there. So I don't know if that's where the guy got the inspiration or not. I'm, I'm merely speculating on that, Daddy. But it's kind of weird that it was at the same time. Um, I thought Behringer, it was it, it was almost like a a, a dual, um, uh, who was the main guy because. Behringer was in this a lot, yeah, and he. Yeah. But then you couldn't when when Perret's part when they do the flashbacks. I mean, he was he's got had so much charisma in this role, and he was so magnetic and everything that you could see he was the star. Even though even in the movie he was as part of the band he was the star. He had the charisma and everything, but in the movie it was the same way. And um, he's such a presence. It's like you'd think you'd think he was like seriously like top build or. Yeah, I, I bet I bet he had less than 10 minutes of dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but but you remember him. And, um, and one the, thing well, the music helps with that, too. And, the, and, oh. and this this film hinges on the music, because if the music's not solid then who gives a fuck, right? I mean, if you watch it and you're like... And it kind of reminds me of... Um, there was a movie recently, an Almodovar movie. Um, it was done in a couple years ago. Um, God damn it, I can't remember the name of it. The um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find out. I'm going to find it. Um, Broken Embraces. Yeah, and, yeah. In, and in Broken Embraces, they're making a comedy. Um, it was this lo- like forever not finished comedy. And when you finally get to see it, which sorry if I'm spoiling that, but it's not funny, right? And it's like it's like this whole thing is film is like hinging on this, and then like the comedy they actually end up showing is kind of if, if the music in this wouldn't have been as good as it was exactly. and as catchy as it was because it wasn't just Dark Side. There were several songs on there that were really good and that 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 became hits really in real life, and because that I, I if if they would have had like some generic shitty ass. Songs that really just weren't that weren't that catchy. The movie would have sucked. Um, I'm with you on the, uh, like I said, all the stuff with the flashbacks, all the stuff that was the flashbacks. I thought was really good yeah. uh, with the stuff with Eddie, and uh, even even when he wasn't there with the the, the kind of the little dynamic between uh, Frank and um, uh, Joanne. 
mm-hmm. you know, there was a little thing there, you know, almost like a little triangle deal there going going on. Um, but once, I I, I don't know where the, where it, how to put where it missed because without having them, you know, say I I I almost wish they would have just stuck with um, it being like Behringer. Okay, he was there. He was there. He did it and everything. And then when this reporter, who was Ellen Barkin, um, which we hadn't talked about yet, she's she's a kind of a main person in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's the one doing the the story and everything, and and kind of gets the ball rolling on everybody getting back involved and and reacquainting themselves with each other. Um, if they would have stuck with just Behringer kind of going around seeing what everybody else is doing, and like a lot of them were like. Y- you know, especially Sal was like, you know, dude, we could we could get them back, we could get back together, and we could make money, and we could do this like tour and do all this and that. And he's like, you know, fuck, man, we did that when we were kids. I'm a school teacher now, yeah. and it kind of gives you an insight on a lot of these groups that maybe were one hit wonders, or even you know had a few hits, but then 20 years later, if they're not still out, you know, doing you know the um, Holiday Inn circuit, or even doing bigger bigger venues, but doing a nost- nostalgia tour, you know, what happens to them? A lot of them go out and they have to get real jobs and they grow up, you know? And uh, I like that dynamic of it. And especially like when he goes to see Sal, it's just so apparent that Sal always wanted to be the star. He always wanted to do things. He thought his way was the way they should have went a more, you know, pop kind of a deal and everything. And he's finally up there and he's living his dream, even though it's like when we did the show and we said the uh, the uh, King of the Gypsies and King of the Hill, the the first idea of that was guys that are really great or really good at something that really doesn't mean a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not really that important. Well, Sal finally gets his chance to be the main guy, the lead, the number one guy, and he's real he's happy with that and he's like the king up there even though it's in some little shitty holiday inn you know and i like that uh like i said Perret, <coughs> i've seen him in a, a, a quite a bit of stuff after this but this was um he was getting a mega push also going back to um King of the uh, Mountain and King of the Gypsies with Eric Roberts and Harry Hamlin at the time. Mm-hmm. Those were the two vehicles for those guys to to take off. As they say in wrestling, baby, they were giving him the ball and letting him run with it. <laughs> and Perret was kind of in the same position with this movie and with Streets of Fire. He was getting a big push. And, you know, it obviously didn't pan out the way that he probably would have hoped it would, but that's, you know, maybe bad decisions, this and that and everything. Um, he was in a movie called Blubberella, so. Blubberella. Yeah, I heard him on the interview, ta- on that interview on uh, uh, Movie Geeks Unite where he talked about, you know, he kind of made a mistake because he just started making these straight-to-DVD, straight-to-video movies for money, and he said, you know, you can make a hundred of those, but then you get, like, one movie like Lincoln Lawyer, which was moderately successful. It wasn't a big success, but you get in with with you know in the big times with a with a a good director with a movie that's going to get get pushed, and it's worth a, a thousand of those little shitty movies. But um, I really want to see Lunar Cop. 
Lunar Cop. He's made some, like I, I, I showed you the one with him and Adam Ant and uh, Bruce Dern in the future. Yeah. And he fights Adam Ant and everything. That looks pretty good. Uh, he made some pretty shitty uh, B, B and C movies. A cop from the moon is sent to Earth, now possessed by motorcycle riding Mad Max like inhabitants. Mad Max like. How many Mad Max like movies have there been? There's a lot of them. Uh, uh, I. Uh, as I was watching this, I hadn't watched it in years, probably since I had seen it. I don't think I ever watched it on like uh, video, on VHS when it was out, or on on uh, DVD. I saw it in the theater and saw it a couple times. So I haven't seen it since probably nineteen eighty or mid eighties. And um, there were times where I was like, "Fuck yeah!" And like I said, my friend Randy and I were sitting there watching it, and he's right about the same age as me, so he remembers it, and it's kind of a nostalgia thing for him too. But we were when they first started, and they started playing that that song on the dark side. I mean, honest to God, I could just feel like fucking like goosebumps or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, "Fuck yeah!" Because you can. I mean, it's that kind of a song that just you know really you could see a crowd really getting into it when they just first start hitting that, you know, keyboard thing at the beginning. And, um, <laughs> I thought parade did a really good job singing. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, I don't know if they had like Cafferty do the song and then he just listened to it over and over and over to where he got it down, you know, with what he wanted to do. But there were times where some of his facial expressions <laughs> were, were almost, hilarious like he looks like almost like a psycho or something it's like wait a minute you know what's the, where's this coming from Eddie? his lips are about to wrap around the microphone yeah and um but as i watched it it might make certain ladies happy oh yeah because let me tell you something from what i've heard uh from some of the girls on film uh uh michael perret uh ladies dig michael perret um <laughs> i wouldn't say it's a letdown because, like I said, I, when I was watching it, there were parts of it where I was like, fuck, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I would remember even lines of dialogue with the dark sides calling the – and he's like, <laughs> come on, man. Do it like this. Dun, 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 dun. Because Behringer was really like dun, 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 dun. He was playing it like yeah. really – you know, he had, he had no – real gritty rock and roll soul and eddie had that you know uh that mean ass kind of drive driving uh style and um but then there were parts of it where i was like oh you know give me a fucking i mean (laughs) there there were actually parts of it um and i would say more toward the end where i was just like jesus christ boy they screwed the pooch you know and um but uh, that's Eddie and the Cruise. Yeah. Um, this is. Um, I, I'm glad that I'm glad that we're coming in to both of these movies the way we are because it's it's interesting. Uh, I think when one of us has a very strong nostalgic past with it, and then I, you know, me coming in completely blind. Um, mm-hmm. These are these are movies I'm seeing for the first time at age 34. So, um, so yeah, um, I guess we'll go ahead and uh, give it our, our uh, scores here. Um, this is like I said. This is a solid one. Um, the the music kind of carries it. Um, Michael Perret is very uh, very charismatic, um, especially on stage. Um, it's a, it's it's a it's a decent movie. Uh, it's definitely worth watching. Um, I'd say as a film itself, it's kind of average, but the music and stuff kind of picks it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I give it a six point seven five out of ten. 
Um, it's it's uh, you know, if you can find it cheap, it's worth buying, picking up. Honestly, I mean, it's yeah, at least the soundtrack anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm it's it's like weird. It's like I'm almost kind of torn because I don't think my rating people are going to hear my rating and think that I don't think it's a very good movie. <clears throat> but here's how I'm going to put it. I'm actually going to rate it less than what you rated it. Okay. I'm going to rate it at, at a 6.5. Um, but I'm going to add to that. This is still, even after watching it again, even after rating it at a 6.5, um, it's still on like one of my all-time favorite lists from like the past. Sure. It's I'll still it still has like a place in my heart, and I do think that you know the the music and you know Perret's charisma uh, really um, that's what carries the whole movie for me. Uh, I think I like Tom Berenger. I've always liked Tom Berenger, and he's good in his role. But his role is kind of really soft spoken and everything. Ellen Barkin's always been pretty solid, and like I said, the guy that played Sal, you know, you thought God, he's a fucking douche. But he's very good, yeah. Uh, because that's what he's supposed to be. Um, so when you when you say six point five, it's not that I don't like the movie. Um, it's not a great movie. It's an average movie that is like the 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 score and the perf- the musical performances lifted up yep. even higher than what it is. The um, the it's funny I, when I watch this, Behringer's kind of like. Soft-spoken and kind of nervous. I watched Fear. I watched Fear City yeah, <laughs> right yeah. after this, uh, which he's still kind of uh, quiet, mm-hmm. but a definitely different kind of quiet <laughs> in that one. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Um, and man, did he get puffy-faced, didn't he? Well, he's old. He's like sixty. What, sixty-three or sixty-four Six, years old? Sixty-two. Yeah, but sixty-two. You know, I was sixty-two years old. Okay. And you know what, uh, Pere, I I'm not. Um, okay, if. If Behringer's 62, Perret was born in 58, and Behringer was born in... 49. 49. So, I mean, Behringer's a lot... You know, he's older. Yeah, he's a decade older, but, uh, you know, in the movie, he actually looks younger. Yeah. Well, at least in the past. Like I said, pushing the hair down, making it 80s fluffy versus flat on his forehead. Well, you know that's that that is really strange because I didn't look and see. I thought they would probably be closer in age, and it, it is almost amazing because, like I said, when we were watching it, uh, we actually said, "Man, Tom Berenger's fucking young in this." You know, he's got to be like early twenties, and he was like thirty-two or something like that. And uh, you know, Perret obviously was probably in his early twenties. So, uh, yeah, they did a hell of a job there. Yeah. You know, with uh, with making him look like that. Yeah. And Joey Pants, oh my god, I've never <laughs> been a fan of his. I don't know why. He just kind of rubs me the wrong. I, I hate to say that, but even when people say Joey Pants, that just fucking annoys the shit out of me. Yeah. You know, it's like, Sorry. Right, <laughs> Joey P- no, I'm just saying when, when you know, they, it was always uh, Joe Pantaleone, uh, Pantaleone or whatever. And uh, and then all of a sudden he wrote that book, which was like his biography. And he said his dad was a, a collector for the mob or something. And everybody started calling him Joey Pants. <laughs> and that may have been what they like his nickname was growing up or something like that. But boy, that always annoyed me. <laughs> Fuck him. He fucked Neo over. <laughs> Cocksucker. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, piece of shit. 
<laughs> Probably a little less scoring than we uh, maybe have anticipated, especially with the buildup. But that's okay. It's uh, it's still worth checking out. Um, oh, definitely worth checking out. Yeah, especially if you're of a particular age or the ladies can get some eye candy and uh, mm. Mr. And you Perot. can laugh at Helen Schneider's performance. <laughs> she's a she's a wooden uh, uh, oh. Bruce Lee training dummy. <laughs> Boards don't hit back. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're going to take another break, and we're going to come back and review Streets of Fire, and this time I'm going to play the right break and, not, and know that I'm playing the right break. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll be right back. Choosing a family movie is tough. It seems like all Hollywood can do is make mindless drivel that rots kids' brains. Who wants to see a movie like what my dad watched when he was a kid? Those films are so boring and the special effects are horrible. The movies he grew up with are sometimes a big surprise. I at times feel uncomfortable watching movies I loved when I was younger with my own kids because I forgot how much cursing, sex, and violence they showed back then. All we want to do is watch a fun movie that we all like. That's why we created Family Movie Night, a podcast where we review movies from an adult perspective. And from a kid's perspective. So you can find movies for your whole family to enjoy. We review new movies. Old childhood favorites. Cult and foreign films. And Godzilla. So check out Family Movie Night on the web at fmnpodcast.com or find us on iTunes. Bye. song gets me oh shit she dying lane is so hot so hot really got a good that's really got a uh, a meatloaf kind of kind of feel to it yeah the um and again great great uh music in this one um this is streets of fire 1984 uh we'll get to that i'm sure um i will synopsize and dom if you can uh you can do it i'll let you uh i'll let you take the lead on this but um i will be sure to jump in if you start to 
choke Gag. on their own phlegm. Sputum. Um, again, <laughs> starring Michael Pere, Diane Lane, Rick Moranis. This is Streets of Fire 1984. A mercenary, Tom Cody, goes after his ex-girlfriend, a singer, who has been kidnapped by a gang, Willem Dafoe, and the Leather Daddies. Um, that is not a great synopsis, but kind of sums up the movie, I guess. Um, yeah, so uh, this is directed by Walter Hill. May sound familiar to some of our listeners. Um, the guy's done quite a quite a wide variety of movies, but done a lot of uh, classics, I guess, in our in our circle. Hard Times, Driver, Forty Eight Hours, Brewster's Millions, one of my favorites. Extreme Prejudice. Um, so yeah, Zom, uh, I know you liked this one, so uh, I'll let you. I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you talk about it some because you've seen it probably what sixty-eight times. Uh, about five hundred. <laughs> <laughs> I I could watch this movie, um, every day of the fucking week, and I'm 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 not even fucking joking. Um. I'm glad it came out on DVD uh, because now I own a copy of it. Uh, I thought that when I bought the DVD um, that it was – I did a search for just Blu-ray DVDs on like eBay or something like that. And this came up and I thought, holy fucking shit. Th- I mean this is how much I like this movie. I was like, <laughs> Jesus. I mean literally like I've, a, a giant python swelled inside my, my trousers. And um, – <laughs> But when I got it, it wasn't. Uh, I don't know how it got mixed in with the Blu-ray. It's not, but it's it still looks just fucking great. Um, starting out, okay. This is a story about Tom Cody. Uh, this could basically be a western kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have any problem. I, I can I can see that totally. It um, it's, it's like supposed a noir western. Yeah, and it's supposed to. It even says at the beginning that it takes place like in a different time and a different place or something like that. So, and I and I heard Pere actually say that you know it kind of, it's not. Uh, you'll notice from uh, the clothes that they wear and the cars they drive, you would think, okay, this takes place in the fifties. Because all the cars are like nineteen fifties big boats, you know, and. Um, and um, the clothing that they wear and stuff like that. But they, they said that, you know, uh, Pere actually said this. I read it before a long time ago and everything. Uh, even when it first came out, that it's not supposed to be – it might it might not even be Earth, you know, for yeah, all we yeah. know. Because um, they're talking about coming back from the war and all uh, – you know, him coming back from the war and uh, Amy Madigan's character uh, the same. Uh, but it could. It could actually be, you know – easily set on earth in the you know uh after world war ii or after the korean war or something like that yeah uh, there's no problem with that they just throw in you know hey it's a it's a rock and roll fable and it's uh you know takes place another time another place um this was supposed to be the beginning of a trilogy yeah, we, we, uh, and we have we have in our episode zero our um, right shooting the shit episode where we're kind of Trying to figure out still how to record everything. Uh, we did. We didn't <laughs> touch on that. Right. This is the episode zero where we were shooting a shit. Shit. Uh, but um, I think, like I said, the, the, same with Eddie and the Cruisers. This was a vehicle for Michael Pere, and um, just uh, 
you can tell by watching this movie that there is somebody that really has a vision and really knows what they're doing uh, behind the camera. Yeah. With Walter Hill. Um, they really they they set it up really well. It's al- it's almost like um, Eddie and the Cruisers, where it starts out where they you know with the the Eddie 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 and the uh, the the keyboard hits and they start playing on the dark side. Well, they kind of do the same thing where you see people coming and you know there's this something's going on, man. People are showing up at this venue and mm-hmm. and they're packing the place and they're like, ah, 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 and um, they start playing that fucking music. And I have seen this movie so many times, it's unbelievable. <laughs> when they start playing that music and Diane Lane runs out on that fucking stage and starts singing with her legs spread apart and like just a badass, you know, rocker chick, Jesus Christ, it is just like, I mean, I, honest to God, I just feel like, oh, yes. You know, if I was at that, I would have went to see her in concert. You know, it was fucking great. And, um, I need to tone down because I'm getting so excited <laughs> when you played that music. Like I said, it was just like on the dark side. You just feel like that the, they picked for both movies. That uh, um, now I know for this movie they actually just uh, there's a couple songs like a Stevie Nicks song and some other ones, but the 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 girl um, who did the singing, I mean, they actually just did this music for this movie. And like with Eddie and the Cruisers, where we said if the music didn't work, it the movie would have been eh, not a, not you know maybe just like average or whatever. Yeah. The same with this one. The music is fucking dead on, and um, this, I this, remember this one's for you, Hugo. I'll let you review to tonight is what it means to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, my friend Jim had the cassette of this, and I had the cassette of it, and I guarantee you we wore this. We wore this cassette out to where it would start going like. <laughs> um, this is the kind of movie where uh, you're watching, and it's almost like Exiled, where you're watching it and you're thinking, "Man, that guy's so cool! I want to be like him, mm-hmm. and I want to have a broad like that, you know, and everything." And um, <laughs> it was the same way with this one. Tom Cody is kind of like a. Uh, he kind of reminds me almost like. Uh, John Wayne in like Stagecoach or something, yeah. where he shows up. He's this uh, the 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 big, tall, rugged, strong, silent type kind of a guy. And um, Ellen Aim is uh, this rock star, and she uh, she's just a star. She's not just a rock star. Yeah, yeah. She's a star. Um, and. Um, she decides to come back to her little hometown, uh, this little borough, and I would think it would be New York City, you know, in the fifties or something. I was thinking Chicago with that. Yeah, with maybe the, Chicago. With the train tracks up in the air. The big trestle things. Yeah. Or, yeah. And um, she decides, even though she's the shit and she's like nationwide, worldwide, this big hit, that she's gonna go back there and have this concert. And things, I mean, like I said, the, the, her up there singing is just, it's the, the music is so powerful. It just gives you a boner that fucking would knock you oh, out. Here we go, here we go. Yeah. This, this, this part in the movie, this, is, this song happens at the very end. I yeah. love the editing of the end, the last, like, two minutes of the movie. The, the, way, the way 
um, Walter Hill, you know, he shot these. I mean, he should have. I mean, he obviously didn't need to be, and it's kind of like a step down to say he should have fucking did uh, music videos. <laughs> but goddamn, I mean, he was just perfect the way he did. You know, um, there's even one um, scene in it when they're walking around town and. There's like a TV in a in a shop window or hanging somewhere, and people yeah. are watching. And it's it's one of her music videos, which is I think is the Stevie Nicks song, and um, um, you know it's it's still just great. And Diane Lane is so fucking hot in this movie. Now <laughs> I will say this: when I watched this, and I was you know <laughs> about the age of the people in the movie, I thought, oh my god, she is so fucking hot. Now that I'm old, <laughs> now that I'm like, uh, you know, there were times in this movie where I would watch and the outfits she wore on stage and everything, and I'm like, oh my god, she's just so smoking, you know. Yeah. But then there were times where she was on the subway sitting there and she'd look up and I thought, God, she looks like a little kid. <laughs> she is so young. And Michael Perret actually said that um, when they were sitting in makeup one day for this movie. Uh, somebody brought her her mail, Diane Lane. Her, they brought Diane Lane her mail, mm -hmm. and she opened up her mail, and it was her final report card for her senior year of high school. Yeah, she was only like 18 yeah, when she did she this. She just movie. graduated. And I remembered seeing her in like Rumblefish and some other movies, and she's just a good looking woman, still a good looking woman, even though she's as old as me. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you had. You got a chance, man. Yeah, yeah. Hey, man, you know, she don't return my calls. Um, the um, they they introduce uh, a character uh, known as Raven Shattuck, and he shows up at the he shows up at the concert, and he's kind of like you know watching the uh, watching the uh, the concert and everything. And Raven's a very has a very distinct look, and you know right off the bat this guy is <laughs> there's something wrong with him. <laughs> Okay, he has like a, a, kind of like a ducktail cross between a ducktail, '50s greaser haircut and a Wolverine haircut, <laughs> and he looks and Willem Dafoe is so fucking weird looking. He almost looks like a vampire because he's so pasty white, and he leads this group, uh, the Bombers, and mm -hmm. they're basically a motorcycle gang. And we, I've often joked that. Uh, because they wear a lot of leather that uh, they might possibly be, you know, kind of, uh, uh, let's just say that they might not have been as interested in Ellen Aim for some of the things <laughs> that we might be interested in. But I, I was proved wrong because when I watched it again, Raven actually is kind of like uh, when when they, they kidnap Ellen. I'm not giving anything away because this is the whole point of the story. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, the, the movie opens, and it's a great scene. The uh, the intro song that I played coming out of break, um, it, the concert's going on, and uh, there's some fantastic lighting with red and blue on the stage. And, you know, the, you got that on the stage, and then you have Willem Dafoe's gang come in in the back door of this place, and they're black and white, essentially. It's just like this harsh white light with the smoke, and it's very they're, they're backlit, so all you see is just like silhouettes approaching the stage. That's how the movie opens, is him yeah. or their gang jumping up on stage and causing a ruckus. Yeah, he's and, just out there, and he's yeah. watching, and I, I think it's quite possible that he just showed up with his guys and said, Let, okay, this is a big thing, let's go see this concert. But he's the kind of guy, as he's sitting there watching, and he she's so fucking hot up there, he's like, you know what, I'm just gonna I, I'm gonna have, I'm I want her, and I'm gonna have her. So they just storm the stage and just start beating the shit. Up. And and one of the guy uh, you'll see um, 
uh, one of our uh, favorites from the Gentleman's Guide and, you know, our people that really like is Bill Paxton with the the giant, <laughs> most ginormous pompadour of all time. Uh, and he tries to help out and he generally just gets his ass kicked quite a bit in this movie. Um, this is a pre chit. Yes, Bill Paxton. And he's got a fucking, uh, <laughs> his knocked out tooth yeah. is so bad. Yeah, it's just like it's just like, it's well, just you painted know on. You can see his tooth still glistening under the black paint. It's, it's like it's it's as convincing as like a Nick Cage hairpiece. Right. Well, yeah. God, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, but, but there are times where, okay, I, I, I see that and I think, okay, you know, well, yeah, Jesus Christ, it couldn't have been any worse than uh, uh, Eric Bana and Chopper, who Mark <laughs> uh, Brandon Reed actually has no like his four front teeth are knocked out. So they tried to kind of give that effect. And it looks like he just has like a black mouthpiece or something. <laughs> but, um, sometimes, you know, when you get smashed in the face and the tooth comes loose, if it doesn't retake, it'll turn black. So maybe they were going for that. And, and then it'll fall out. Cause oh, it's okay. dead. It's dead. But yeah, I think they were, that's what they were going for. Yeah. I know what you're saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> cause when I got all my teeth knocked out, you know, that's just, but that was just because the the guys in prison didn't want me to be able to bite. Um, that's what you do, you know. Uh, the, I totally, I totally knocked you off track. There. No, 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 I'm on track, baby. Uh, uh, we we can go back to um, King of the Mountain because Deborah Van Valkenburg. Uh, two, is two weeks in a row. Yes, yes, the Vulcanburg. But in this one, she just kind of is like a uh, little side character. She's yeah. she uh, she owns a diner, and when she sees uh, Ellen get kidnapped, she says, "You know, hey, I gotta put, I gotta put the call out." And uh, and they when they put the call out, when you have something like this that needs taken care of, you call one bad stud, <laughs> and <laughs> they call. Tom I could, Cody. I got that one too. Yeah. <laughs> the Blasters. <laughs> in my neighborhood. All right, sorry. And uh, so anyway, when the one bad stud shows up, uh, at first he's he gets the call and it just says, "Tom, I need you. Come home." And so you can tell he's kind of kind of uh, world weary, you know, and everything. And he shows up, and. Uh, they established really quick that Tom Cody is one bad stud because, um, like, uh, a guy from who there's a there's a group that look like they're out of the movie Grease Two, <laughs> not even Grease One, and uh, they obviously come into the wrong diner at the wrong wrong place, wrong time. Um, we get interest now. This movie has something for everybody because you have Ella Name for all the guys. You have Michael Pere for all the chicks, and then you have Rick Moranis for Emily. Uh, <laughs> and you have oh, when you got Willem Dafoe for the other guy <laughs> for, for 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 I don't know what he's very <laughs> ambiguous about like lots of things. He could go lots of different ways. Oh, we got Amy Madigan for a certain crowd too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, Emily has uh, said that she is uh, she, one of her all-time crushes was Rick Moranis. <laughs> And, um, he is a tough guy in this one. <laughs> oh my God, he is so obnoxious in this. <laughs> and one thing that's really bad is it's like when you, um, um, I can sympathize with Tom Cody because I, I, I mean it's been a while now, uh, but I had a similar situation, and uh, 
my uh, let's just say someone that I uh, had a great deal of feeling for mm-hmm. uh, ended up with a guy who's probably about four foot uh, eleven, and uh, <laughs> it just <laughs> it's really hard to bear him when Tom Cody shows up and he sees that his ex, who is Ellen Aim is with Rick Moranis, uh, he and the Zom have a lot in common. <laughs> uh, so, you, you, it's basically, Tom is kind of a mercenary, and I like when he says uh, about being in the Army, he meets uh, Amy Madigan, who has hair like the Scarecrow from Wizard of Oz. <laughs> it's a straw, look, it looks like he, she has uh, a, a broom on both sides of her head underneath his hat. And, um, they kind of when we when we were joking around just a minute ago about her character mm-hmm. there I thought <coughs> <coughs> well first of all the character was supposed to be a guy he was supposed to he was written it was written to be a, a Hispanic male okay. who was going to be Tom Cody's uh sidekick and Amy Madigan was reading for the part of Tom Cody's sister okay and she, and when she was talking to Walter Hill she said you know um, the the part that I think is the best part, other than of course you know Ellen Aim and Tom Cody and Raven, she said I want to be the the sidekick, and so Walter Hill was kind of like you know hey you know why not, well, um, they went out of their way at first to me to basically I don't know how but. I mean, to me, they went out of their way to say that she was a lesbian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and, they, I mean, she's called Butch. I think. Yeah. What's her name? And... Even calls her uh, Moranis. Even calls her Butch. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But and so I was convinced that you know, okay, because Tom Cody. Even there's a couple times where he's like, "Hey, you know, you want a quick tumble, eh?" And she's like, "Sorry, <laughs> but you're not my type." And he's like, "What the fuck?" You know, well, you're uh, you're, you're kind of gross. Type. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he goes, uh, "You're." You're you're kind of fucking gross, and I'm this fucking stud, and you're fucking turning me down. And then I think the light bulb went off in his head, maybe, uh, where he was like, "Oh," which I've had that happen to me before too. <laughs> when you're like, "Okay, now wait a minute, what's the deal here?" And then you're like, "Ah," oh. um, but then later on, she's talking to Ellen, and she basically says that you know she had a guy too that kind of was the same way and blah, 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 blah. But there's this tension between, um, well, even right off the bat, Tom's like, you know, what the fuck are you calling me for? You want me to fucking go after, like, it'd be like if the girl I was just talking about, if somebody called me and said, hey, she's in trouble, she needs your help. I'd be like, fuck her. You know, she ran <laughs> off with this fucking douche and I'm going to go help her. So it was kind of the same same thing. And Tom's kind of like, you know, but you can tell. You can tell. You know he's still with for her and everything, so he decides he's gonna he's gonna uh, take the job. So he has to uh, to go rescue his ex girlfriend, and um, there's a lot of what the fuck? Ed Begley Jr. just shows up out of nowhere. What a weird uh, appearance that was! <laughs> like, did he really need that? I don't even know. I, I I don't know if that part got cut down or what, <laughs> but I don't even know why it was there. It was just like all of a sudden Ed Begley Jr. just is is just there, and um, um, you know, there's a lot of interaction that's pretty funny. I thought between uh, Madigan and uh, Rick uh, Moranis, um, 
because she's basically just kind of puts him in his place and he he makes these smart ass comments to her and everything. And there's there's some pretty good interaction just for a brief period of time between uh uh McCoy, who was Amy Madigan, and Bill Paxton. Um uh, and um they when when Raven and after a whole bunch of shit happens and Raven and Tom Cody come face to face for the first time. It's just like two fucking like two alpha males or two bulls or whatever. And they look at each other and it's like, okay, you know, uh, looks like I finally found someone who likes to play as rough as I do. And, you know, and, and Tom Cody, he says, uh, you know, he, he basically was getting away Mm -hmm. and, 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 uh, Raven comes walking through the fire with his uh, uh, vinyl uh, chest <laughs> waders on, <laughs> or whatever the fuck they were. Which was, uh, you know, people laugh about that, but it was just perfect. It was perfect for his character with that hair and being this pasty white vampire looking and everything. That's, and then he's got uh, that, these... that's the costume you wear to the to the gay bar as the, yeah. when you want to go as a firefighter for Halloween. Oh yeah, and I guarantee you, the thing probably had a flap in the back <laughs> for easy access. No, because I'm telling you what. Let me tell you something. I I Raven to me he was he was a I don't know though. It's kind of hard because, like with Hulk Hogan and Brutus Beefcake, yeah, I think Raven There's, was the top. That made me totally made me think of this. It, it, it's unrelated. I, <laughs> I tried. I have the theory. I have this theory that it pretty much anything you can think of, you could find it on the internet. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I tried forever one night uh, to find a picture of a guy wearing women's crotchless underwear. <laughs> <laughs> just to see if it was, and I cannot find it. So anybody, please send it to our uh, <laughs> silvergoldpodcast at gmail.com. I want to see a picture, even if it's you, I don't care. I want to see a picture of a dude in women's crotchless underwear. All righty. Uh, you want it, you got it. Silver gold. Um, but there... I think Raven was the kind of guy that you know everybody feared, mm-hmm. rightly so, because he's a fucking weird-looking motherfucker. But um, and to to be to become the head of this gang, which has a shitload of guys in it, you know, he was probably the baddest motherfucker there. And when he does the looks like I finally found someone who likes to play as rough as I do, and uh, when uh, Cody's getting away and he's just sitting there on this motorcycle and he says, um, you know, what's your name? And other people, I mean, he could have just took off. And he, he's, th- this just tells you, like, what kind of guy Tom Cody is. He's just like, Tom Cody, pleased to meet you. Because he's <laughs> like, I don't give a fuck. You can come after me. I'm not afraid of anybody. I'll fight anybody, and I'll whip your ass. And Raven's just like, okay, yep, that's the way I am too, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. So you have this collision that's, gonna, that's, that's uh, down the road between those two. And... Um, you know, who knows if there's a little sexual tension there, maybe from, you know, Raven. I don't know. Tom Cody's probably like, what the fuck? I thought we were going to fight, dude. <laughs> Why are you wearing those waders? And um, so then you get the dynamic, which I really liked, of course, with uh, with Ellen and Tom uh, as they're, you know, because they're basically getting away and there's several different modes of transportation they take where they have some conversations and stuff. Um, and you can tell that that um, and, and I felt bad for him 
I always feel bad for him because I think, okay, you know, she ran off, became a star, left him for this little douche. But then, you know, you're sitting there and she says, you know, you took off and you were gone for two years and you never wrote, you never called me or anything. Now, I'll be honest with you. In my situation, <laughs> it wasn't like that. I would think if if I was dating someone and they took off and I didn't hear from them for two years, I think I'd move on. Yeah. So, you know, and he's like, yeah, it's just the way I am. <laughs> he's just kind of... Uh, He's this stoic guy, but he's kind of thick, you know, and uh, probably in more places than one uh, than his head. Um, but he there, there's that tension because you can tell she still has it for him and he still has it for her. But they they don't want to admit it and they say mean shit to each other and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she lo- she's looking over him on the subway. And, and then as soon as he looks over at her. You know, she reaches over and grabs Rick Moranis and starts kissing him because, you know, he had just said something kind of shitty to her. Like, no, why don't you go over there and sit down with your boyfriend, asshole, or something like that, you know. And um, so they just continually are, like, hurting each other, even though, you know, they just want to just fuck each other's brains out. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so after two years, you know. And um, so you have this... Um, you know, like I said, it, it's 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 coming to this inevitable conclusion. You know, it's it's just like I said, like a western where you have the two gunfighters or whatever, and you know, eventually they're going to there's going to be a showdown at the end. So it's not giving anything away. That's going to happen. Um, there were several scenes, like I said, the the music is just great. The the scenes of Ellen singing and everything are great. Even the blasters, um, I like. Yeah, there, there were they were like a uh, kind of a rockabilly. They weren't like a rockabilly group. They were a rockabilly yeah, group, yeah. like a resurgence thing. That there dude was a time, sweaty bastard. Uh, he's sweaty and he's weird looking too. He's kind of <laughs> got buggy eyes or bug <laughs> eyes. Um, like nobody else in this club that is just in the middle of a basically a warehouse of fireballs. Yeah, nobody else is sweating except this dude is <laughs> just dripping. He was working, and you had the. Um, th- this was another thing when the movie came out that they always talked about when this first came out was because um, Flashdance was such a big thing, you know, Flashdance with Jennifer Beals. Well, for the longest time, uh, much like Eddie and the Cruisers, with uh, that Michael Perret wasn't the one that was actually singing. Like this one with Ellen Ames, she wasn't the one that was singing. With uh, Flashdance, everybody thought Jennifer Beals, oh my God, she's so hot, and she's dancing and everything. Well, it wasn't Jennifer Beals dancing. And when they did the reveal... <laughs> They had the girl that, that, that did all the dancing. They actually had her going around to these talk shows and stuff and being interviewed and doing some dance routines and stuff on the show. And it was kind of like, you know, yeah, she's good, but this sucks because I want it to be Jennifer Beals or <laughs> yeah. I want the singer to be LNA or uh, Diane Lane and I want Eddie Wilson to be Michael Perret. So when you found out, when they revealed that it wasn't, it was kind of like a, you know, fuck. It's like, like I said, like Millie Vanilli. Everybody loved Millie Vanilli. They were a goddamn huge hit, no matter what anybody says. They fucking were all over the charts. They were number one and everything. But when you found out who Millie Vanilli really was, and the guy kind of looked like a cross between George Jefferson and, uh, you know, some, I don't know who, you were just kind of like, eh, it sucks. I wanted it to be Millie Vanilli. <laughs> but um, so that girl is actually in this movie when the Blasters are playing One Bad Stud. And I've been around the world and everyone looks the same. 
Dude. Uh, <laughs> that was another song. I can't remember what that was called. Uh, I'll, I'll be spending time in the blue shadow. Uh, she dances for the the uh, guys in the club. And I always think it's funny when they have, um, I guess she's supposed to be kind of like a go-go dancer. Mm-hmm. Hollywood never wants to go straight out and just have strippers, or at least for a while. Now sometimes they do. But uh, uh, like when uh, Lindsay Lohan's making a movie and she's going to be a stripper, but she never takes her clothes off, you know. Um, she's up there dancing, and she's not uh, not that attractive, I don't think. She had real short hair, and she just mm, – but they made a real big deal about this chick from Flashdance being in this movie. Um, but like I said, I like the interaction with, uh, with Cody and Ellen because yeah. there's just that tension. They really were good together. Yep. Um, the perfect matchup there. Uh, Michael Pere, even though he's, you know, looks like he could whip some ass. There are several scenes in this one, just like with Diane Lane, where you look at his face and he has a like a kind of a boyish face because he's really fucking young. Uh, he's like a a, a man child. Uh, Moranis is really good because he's just a dick. I mean. It, and I like the how his relationship with Cody kind of evolves all the way, you know, to, toward the end. There was more that it evolved. He was real. Sh- Cody was always a real shit to him, and he was a real shit to Cody yeah. because you know they both had that girl in common. Um, and I think even Madigan's character, her and Moranis didn't get along, and they kind of it, it kind of evolves there too. Um, I like the movie. Fucking top to fucking bottom. I mean, uh, there, there is. I'm not saying it's um, Citizen Kane or anything like that, but uh, for pure entertainment, for me personally, just me, um, it hits in every way it was supposed to. It just fucking bam, bam, bam. And even when I watched it the other night, I hadn't seen it in years. I was like. Fuck! I, I just want to watch it again. I love this movie. Cool. Um, yeah. You, as you're as you were going uh, talking there, I was pretty much just checking off notes. It's like you you touched on pretty much everything. You and did, I rated a four point out. No, <laughs> you did. You did fail to mention though that Michael Pare had a what appeared to be a Zubaz sofa. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, we talked about the the pleather rubber pants suspenders and. Ed Begley Jr.'s weird appearance. Um, Apparently, the um, the the clothing too, like Cody's clothes look really kind of like uh, almost like a rag bag kind of clothes, mm-hmm. like nineteen fifties rag bag. But Pere said that I can't remember if it was um, Gautier or somebody. There was some famous um, designer who did all the clothes for everybody, including Amy Madigan's dirty, ugly overalls and that ugly hat. <laughs> that terrible cap she wore with her yeah. with her with her straw man hair. <laughs> if I only had a brain. The um the I, I mentioned this and when we talked about this in uh, episode zero, the uh the fucking boomstick that <laughs> that Parade carries. Yeah, yeah. That thing just flo- throws fire. Uh, every, he shoots a motorcycle vehicle, it bursts into flames. Every vehicle in this thing must fucking have been <laughs> running on nitroglycerin. And the nitroglycerin runs right underneath the outer shell of the car. <laughs> there's no there's no inner workings. It's just it's just <laughs> solid explosive material right in the middle of this thing. Um and I would hate to be one of those poor stunt guys that had to roll off the back of one of these like fireball motorcycles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, 
how hot was uh, Diane Lane's second outfit with that choker, oh. the choker and the cleavage? That when I was watching this, I was just thinking the other day, the choker thing. I, I, I they, like I, I people don't wear those anymore. No. But my God, that would that I don't know what it is. I was I a sucker for chokers too, man. Oh, oh my God. Oh, I'm nom nom. <laughs> <laughs> I swear that I love all of the vehicles except the bus. Yeah. <laughs> the, the bus was hilarious. They, I swear it made a broken down Millennium Falcon noise at one point. That <laughs> sound when they tried to, when Han Solo tried to crank it up and they went in the, uh, in the cantina. <laughs> God. Um, and just, uh, you know, just to, so we don't break our trend. There's, um, there's a nice racial, racial slur right in the middle of the, in the movie as they're trying to make their escape from town. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. One yeah. of the cops, yeah. That um, one cop, he's been the, the one that was the real asshole cop that comes on the bus. I've seen him in a, a bunch of... And, okay, I just thought of something. Um, the bar in 48 Hours was Torchies. The bar in this was Torchies. And the cop that comes on the bus is the guy that says in 48 Hours to Eddie Murphy, what do you want, a black Russian? <laughs> it's the same guy. <laughs> I, I had it all together, Daddy. I need to see that movie again. I like that one a lot. And Brewster's Millions. <laughs> I just thought of another thing, too, that I thought was funny. You, I don't know if you have this in your notes, but um, how about the guy in Torchies that picks up Amy Madigan and thinks and is excited that he's going to screw her? <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck? He's like, all right, baby, let's go. You know, He's all excited. And he's walking with her to like a room and all the other bombers as they're walking by are like, what the fuck is wrong with you, dude? <laughs> oh, poor Amy Madigan. Ed I'm Harris like... is probably like, I think she looks hot, dude. <laughs> it's my wife, mother bugger. The, um, yeah, the uh, there's a there's a fist fight in the movie. Well, there's a fight in the movie, and if if that was the only scene you saw in the whole movie, that kind of sums up what kind of movie this is. Mm-hmm. Because this isn't a fight where you're jabbing and bobbing and weaving. There's just haymaker after haymaker, and people going oh, and it, that's the kind of movie it is. It's it's a it's a very very stylistic movie. It's uh, it's a weird mesh of film noir, a western, uh, 80s, 50s. It's it's an amalgamation. It's a, it is. It's it's a very odd combination, and I think it works really well. Um, just I love that's that's ahead. if I had to pick a I guess an MVT. That MVT is the is What's that the mean? Uh, um, new uh, world order. Yeah, yeah. If I had to pick a new world order, it would be. The uh, the conglomeration of different styles and settings and everything coming all together, and I think you know this this industrial city and like like I also said in episode zero, it seems like some of this was filmed on a set also. Well, um, they, they um, I cannot remember what the reason was. I'm trying to think what it was. Um, they wanted a great majority of the movie is shot at night, mm-hmm. but they shot it all during the day under a huge like tarp. Oh, okay. It, the, the, I mean, and this is a huge set. This isn't like they're inside and they have a tarp over something. A lot of the movie is shot outside in the, like the rain or whatever in the middle of the night. And it's this huge street all the way down through there. And they took, they created this huge like giant tent or tarp or whatever that blocks out all the sunlight. So yep. it looks like it's, it's nighttime. So, um, 
but yeah, I mean, I don't have a whole lot else to add except uh, the the red dress at the end. There's a red velvety dress. There is no bra under there, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, daddy. <laughs> um, one one uh, thing when you were saying about uh, the one fight scene, uh, in, in, uh, in this one fight scene, one thing that I really liked how they did, uh, uh, and this is the climactic showdown deal, um, it starts out, and, and there's all these people there and everything, but they phase out every bit of sound except the... Like uh, I think, like the, the the punches or the weapons yeah. clanking together, yeah, yeah. and everything else is just like dead air, and it really creates it, it. Really has a cool atmosphere, you know. And Raven has a pretty cool outfit in that too, you know. He he shows up uh, ready to go, but he has a nice uh, like a all leather kind of. Um, <laughs> I don't think he owned anything that wasn't either pleather, vinyl, or leather. And, they, and he has his leather daddy horn that he can just make uh, yeah. hun- hundreds <laughs> of dudes in leather just appear by... Just <laughs> hey, he knew. He knew that he couldn't trust those pigs. Um, oh, and I almost forgot the fight scene right at the beginning. I love the editing in the, in the diner at the beginning when uh, Tom Cody's disposing of the ruffians. The guy with the butterfly the knife. The guy with the butterfly knife, he slaps the taste I out of that fucker's mouth. Yes, I love it in a movie where some guy thinks he's tough, and then um, it's like Kurt Russell in Tombstone. He doesn't go over to the guy at the card table and, like, you know, beat him up or anything. He just slaps the piss out of him. Like, just fucking slaps him so hard that the guy's like a little kid that's like all the, the toughness just goes out of him in two seconds yeah, he they, takes that butterfly knife he's like why don't you try again <laughs> you know? he, the guy flips the butterfly knife in his face and holds it there Tom Cody just slaps a piss out of him and says why don't you and takes the knife from him and says why don't you try that again and then the dude does it again, and then and then the way it's edited is hilarious because you know he only slapped him like once, but it's he edits it, uh, Walter Hill or whoever edited the film edits it together where he looks like he slaps him like twenty times. It's like psh, 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 from all these different angles. It's really funny. So I just um, took a drink of water right when you said he slaps piss out of it. And I almost <laughs> choked. Uh, so uh, th- this is a really fun movie. It's got a good soundtrack, and um, yeah, uh, I'll let you score it. <coughs> Or cough. I know. I know. I'm going to. Um, like I said, I kind of already gave gave away. <laughs> uh, I'm telling you what, dude. Um, we always score. Like I said, you know, you might you might watch um, Hands of Steel, and think this movie was so fucking entertaining, and you score it like really high. Even and then it, then you have like a really good important movie like say like Michael Clayton or something like that and you're like okay this is a you know this but if you compared Michael Clayton to that it'd be like that would be like a one or a two or yeah, probably yeah. one and Michael Clayton would be like a letter oh my god I, I don't feel me, guilty just do it just dude go for with me your heart. honest to God I almost give this a ten. <laughs> I, I, I honestly got. I'm going to say a ten. This is just. This is just. I hey. I M O. In my opinion, this movie is like a perfect movie for me. Just for me. I, for what it is, I love it. I could watch it every day of the week. I could listen to the songs. I love every character in it. I can quote every fucking line. This is a ten. This is Zom's ideal movie. Uh, for me, again, this is like I said the. Not one that I, I came to at a much older age. Um, it's one like Monster Squad, 
where there seems to be a great following of it of people that watched it back in the 80s. And uh, that when you see it now, you're like, uh, I don't really understand. This one more so for me because Monster Squad I didn't really care for when I saw it. Um, this is um, this is a really fun movie. It For me, it's not a perfect movie. It's... Um, it's a weird one because I could I, I could see it released in theaters and I can see why it might have not been a super hit. One, it was in the mid '80s and there was all kinds of super hits coming out then. People um, were stupid back then. People are stupid, and it, it's just a, it's it's an odd combination that it's going to work for a lot of people, especially in our circle, but maybe not for like a general audience. Um, but it's a lot of fun. It's uh, like I said, great soundtrack and um. I, I I give it a seven point seven five out of ten, um, solid. It's a buy definitely. Um, I guess it it doesn't really ever let down. It's like as soon as Tom Cody makes an appearance, it's pretty it's pretty like you know, the foot's on the pedal for the rest of the movie. Um, I've, I felt like this is the second time I watched it also, and I felt like it. I felt like it was slower the first time I watched it for whatever reason, and this time I was like, "Oh, well, they're already here. They're already here," and it, it just keeps going, and it's a good pace. It's not, you know, it's not overly long or anything, and it's a really good movie. So, well, uh, I'll tell you, I, I don't really give a shit about you know IMDb other than just to look up some stuff, but uh, you know they have the ratings up at the top, yeah. and and um, when I was when we had Eddie and the Cruisers up or have Streets of Fire up, I think they both rate like a six point four, and I I. Put this movie head and heels above Eddie and the Cruisers. Yeah, this is a definitely a better movie. Um, you know, with Eddie and the Cruisers, it's I'm I'm able to you know get into the music and stuff, and that helps with that. With this, it's like you know the music's not the only thing that's good. Oh, and the Flashdance Girl does show some titty, which I totally forgot about. Um, she kind of pulls up her her dress there, so or her mm. her uh, belly shirt. Which I'm, I'm I'm wearing right now, totally stinking up a belly shirt as we sit here. Um, nice. So yeah, we got a perfect score, and we got a seven point seven five out of ten. A per. Our, this is our first perfect score. <laughs> yes. Streets of and Fire. And I'll, I'll tell you, honest to God, when we get off here, I'll probably fucking go put that movie in and watch it <laughs> because I haven't watched it on my big TV. Oh. And with all the, I mean, the way that with all the colors. And the way that Hill shoots it and everything, mm-hmm. I think it would really look good. Uh, if they put it out in Blu-ray, it would look fucking awesome. So put it out in Blu-ray. Yeah. All right, so we're going to take one more break. We'll come back with a little bit of feedback, and we'll wrap things up. No one would have believed in the first years of the 21st century that Hamilton would be watched from an entertainment standpoint. No one could have dreamed that Amicus films were being scrutinized as someone with a microscope studies creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. Few men even considered the possibility that this area of film still had anything to offer. And yet, across the gulf of space, minds immeasurably superior to our own regarded this podcast with envious eyes. And slowly and surely, they drew their plans against it. The Hamicus Podcast. Hammer and Amicus, and every tenuous link in between. Hamicus.com and iTunes. Cheers.
Back from break again, doing a little bit of feedback, and uh, we actually, uh, I wanted to mention a couple things about our um, Streets of Fire review. Um, one, you know, I, I wanted to compare it, I guess, in Walter Hill's uh, filmography, he's got a, different different kinds of movies, definitely. Um, if you want to compare it to anything, if you haven't seen this, I'd say it's more like The Warriors than it is anything else. Because mm-hmm. The Warriors is kind of stylistic and has cool music and that the the DJ and all that stuff. Um, it's a lot. It's not really like Forty Eight Hours or you know The Driver that kind of thing. It's it's definitely more of like a almost like a comic book feel kind of movie. So, and it also has Deborah Van Valkenburg. Valkenburg, who is now and her dirty feet. Patron saint, I guess. Yes, <laughs> yes. Fucking Sterling Hayden, Michael Pere, and D- Diane Volk. Or wait, what's her name? Deborah Van. Then Deborah Van. God. <laughs> and She's uh, been in three fucking movies <laughs> that we've reviewed. And um, I also wanted to uh, mention with the the song that we didn't play um, or didn't mention the fucking uh, the the band from the last movie um, from Streets of Fire. What was the name of the band? The sh- the Sorrells or something like that. The or something like that. Sorrells. Yeah, yeah. Definitely a 50s kind of thing going on there. But they had this like mega hit, you know, the. And I played it in episode zero. And I think a lot more people have even heard, will have known this song if they're, if they're, you know, grew up in the 80s. They'll know this song over, over actually seeing the movie. You guys know this one. This is Zom's favorite song. So yeah, we'll let that play. Um, the um, the uh, <laughs> I totally lost what I was gonna say. I love the I love the stage thing, the stage performance of that when they all do like the simultaneous moonwalk and. I'm uh, doing it right now. <laughs> Zom's mic cord is only so long, so when he moonwalks while on on mic, it's only like two steps before he has to turn around and go the other direction. Yeah. (laughs) Stoney Jackson. Robert Townsend. So, yeah, anyway. um, Yeah, and Deborah Van Valkenburg. And Deborah Van Valkenburg. She wasn't in it, but she was good. (laughs) So, yeah, we got one voicemail this week from another familiar voice. Here we go. Man, am I shocked there's no message when I call the Silva and Gold hotline. I really hope this is a Silva and Gold hotline because of all the, I think, podcasts to call into and get the wrong number for and to leave a message, I would imagine anyone leaving a message for yours would probably be the most interesting to whoever actually got that message. It's Emily. Um, Sorry, it has taken me four episodes or so to call in. I've just uh, been scrambling and I have to listen, I think, as I told Zom, um, the loaf is a little quiet when I listen to my computer. So it's been a matter of finding the time to listen on the road. Uh, Been loving it all. I can't remember anything specific I have to say about anything. 
other than, yes, I do indeed have a crush on both Rick Moranis and Michael Ironside. And yeah. I imagine a triple date with them would be interesting, to say the least. Um, a date. Sh- she cleaned it up and said triple date. Well, actually, it, she said DP, and then we had this, because we're not that kind of show, so we changed the, the D. We put date. You can kind of tell that that's like loaf. Loaf's voice the second half of that. Who is the third? Wait, triple DP. I don't even know how that works. Is that six? <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> Emily, also, you bad. I appreciate Naughty the girl. citation of the AMC Pacer in whatever movie you were talking about, that an AMC Pacer. Uh, my dad kind of has a hobby of AMC Pacers, and throughout my lifetime, I think my family has had like 10 of them. Currently, they have a Pacer wagon, a Pacer station wagon thing. Uh, yes, I have pictures to prove it if you don't believe me. Oh, what else are you going to say? Um, as far as recommendations, I mentioned it on the very happening Facebook page, but a good zombie film that I think Zom might enjoy, and I know Loaf seconded me on this one, would be Nightmare City, which is very smoothy um, Italian, early 80s, I guess. Um, and there's an aerobic scene in it, amongst other things, and I think you'd enjoy it. Um, I definitely have something else of note to say, and I have no idea what it is because I I just lose words when I think about silver and gold. So that's it. Keep up the good work. Bye. I really hope it's you. Bye. She's like, uh, she, I, I, she went I to my what, school of broadcasting, apparently, because well, I can never remember shit either. Well, I, I know exactly what she was uh, what she was thinking of and that she forgot is the uh, movies that uh, she and Rachel were supposed to to, to uh, send us to to review. So she probably forgot that again. You know, she's you know uh, thinking about Rick Moranis and the double penetration, Mike Ironside. She wants to. Um, she's gonna pull off that bow tie, nice and slow. Yeah, but the, you know what's the sick thing about that is, is that Ironside will be the one in the middle, <laughs> and he will somehow figure out a way to die afterwards. Uh, yeah, he'll die from the ripping. <laughs> Oh, uh, so yeah. Speaking of picking stuff for the show, um, that's actually all the feedback we have. Um, next week we're going to do like in the first episode, um, we did a um, the gentleman's guide picks. Um, so I guess our the, the people that have helped us out or people that we just love, uh, we we like to have them I guess program a show. Um, so next week we're actually going to do uh, an outside the cinema picked episode. Um, Bill and Chris got back to me uh, about doing two films that um, I guess the theme for next week is going to be a what the fuck Japan <laughs> uh, double feature. Um, and I, I bl- they may have reviewed both of them on the show. I know they've done this one. They, they gave us uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man from 1989 directed by Shinya uh, Sukamoto. Um, I probably just butchered that. Uh, I've never seen either of these films, but um, this is a metal fetishist kind of film. A guy like turns into some kind of metal person as it goes on. Um, and then uh, they gave us this other one, um, which, judging by the cover, looks uh, pretty out there. Uh, Shosen Fukui from 1996. Uh, sorry, he's directed it. Um, Rubber's Lover. Um, just from the name, I'm going to imagine that one's pretty fun, too, so... So yeah, Tetsuo the Iron Man and Rubber's Lover is what we'll be covering next week in our What the Fuck Japan <laughs> double feature. What the fuck? What the fuck? Yes, <laughs> son of a bitch. You motherfucker. 
I can't even. <laughs> <laughs> that one's gonna kill you. I'm so depressed. I can't even do anything. Like I just. Uh, well, thank you, Emily, for the feedback. Uh, make sure to uh, check her out. Uh, she's got a lot of plugs here. Uh, I Dead- love you, Emily. DeadlyDollsHouse.blogspot.com, where she reviews all kinds of fun horror flicks. Um, she's on often on Girls on Film. The um, actually, she I guess she's on every episode, right? Uh, Girls on Film Radio, the uh, Girls on Film.Potomatic.com. You can check them out on iTunes. She also does Glee Cast, which. Um, I guess they're recording again. Is Glee, Glee back on? I don't watch Glee, so I don't. Is it even? On, is it still? I don't know. They is they do Glee Cast. So her and Erica, um, GleeCast.Potomatic.com. Glee Cast with a K. So yeah, check her out on all her various ventures. Uh, you don't even have to like Glee to listen to that show because I know several people that listen to it that are like, I've never watched Glee before, but I listen to the show just because it's funny. Yeah. They have a chemistry. And um but yeah, those we two, those two dames. You definitely you and I should do uh, Nightmare City. We could double it with some aerobics movie. It's, you, I think yeah. you'd like that one for some. I like aerobics. <laughs> I like aerobics and spandex. So yeah, come back next week. Ted so with Iron Man, Rubber's Lover. Uh give us feedback. We love it. Love the feedback. Oh. Send us uh oh, oh, I almost forgot. God damn it, I forgot last week too. <laughs> we, we still have the contest going on. <laughs> Zom is dying. We gotta hurry. Um, we uh, yeah, listen to episode uh, what is it four, the exiled episode, where we gave a little trivia question. I'm not gonna repeat it because you gotta go listen to the episode. Yeah. Um, we gave a little trivia question. Uh, we want more. We want more entries. So uh, whoever wants to win a big old sized uh, exiled poster, write us the answer to that in the email format, or you can you could voicemail it in if you want. I don't care. Can I uh, win this contest? Zom is going to win the contest if you don't, which is cheating. So don't let Zom cheat. Enter the contest. I want, but let me tell you something, people. I want to cheat. I want this fucking poster. <laughs> um, yeah. Speaking of which, our silvergoldpodcast at gmail.com is how you can send us voicemail or send us uh, feedback or enter that contest. Or you can uh, always send us voicemail that we really need to do an outgoing message on at 206 SilvaandGold.com is our website. Uh, we got a Facebook group with a bunch of numbers where we talk about dildos and all kinds of fun stuff. Oh, it's zany. It's, it's zany. It's just wild, wild wacky, wacky, wacky group. Wacky time. So, yeah, that's about all I got for this week. Zom, you got anything else? Oh, uh, no. You got your phone ringing. You're hacking up stuff. I what? had a dream about an angel on the street and it's dancing. <laughs> How uh, come I didn't cough during that shit? That's embarrassing. <laughs> I don't cough. I try and do goddamn Bray Winstone and I fucking gag. <laughs> All right. So that, until next. Oh, sorry. What were you going to say? Ah, uh, fucking phone. Ah, fuck that shit. <laughs> I turned the Christmas music phone off this week. I heard. I heard that it's still the other one ringing in the background. So. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Until then, this is Loaf Oot. Psalm Oot. 